You are listening to episode 89 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Ladies and gentlemen, I am a proud man, but even a proud man must admit when he was wrong. I have a revelation. Oh, what's that? I like those. <laughs> in light of 2017 and 2018, I think it's only fair to say that Disney produces better superhero films than Fox. Oh my god, yes. Finally. After wow. all this time, you're willing to admit the truth. You've seen the light. It took you a long time to get there, man, but I'm proud of you. Just looking at the 19 Disney films, they've only gotten better in the last two years. And while I don't think any of them have reached the peak of Logan, the last two years have been sensational. Well, uh, Phil, I'm glad that you can finally admit that. Uh, I'm surprised and flabbergasted, but this segment is actually supposed to be for a joke, and uh, you didn't do that. (laughs) Um, So unless that's a joke, unless you're joking about your revelation, uh, that's a fail. Listen, the joke is that I'm groveling. Given that you you failed at at, at, at giving us a joke this week, we're going to move on from you, Phil, because contrary to popular belief, this isn't the Phil Pals. Uh, What? Yeah. I need to burst your bubble. Uh, (laughs) Instead of that, we're going to focus on our guests this week. Uh, Yes, we have guests yet again. Uh, We're really, really excited to talk to these guys. Uh, We've got... Andrew Maxwell and Goran Gligovich. I, I I prefaced the show before we even started by making sure that I had that last name right, and I think I got it. Uh, so ninety nine percent right. There you go. <laughs> That's pretty good. Wow. That's amazing. How do I get, how do I get that one percent? The ch in the end, it's supposed to be a chip, but you don't have that sound, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a soft ch. Yeah. Oh, yeah I, I might, <laughs> good enough. Good enough. I might not have the tongue for that. You know what? I'm gonna accept that. That's what an A plus, right? So still an A plus. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, so Andrew and Goran uh, are the creators of an awesome book, um, Laszlo Kale: The Body Adventures of Laszlo Kale, and uh, we got the opportunity to read this. The Kickstarter is actually ongoing right now, right? Well, Tuesday. So it'll be so it'll be tomorrow as of this release. Right, right. So uh, it launches perfect Tuesday. Um, and we had the opportunity to read it ahead of time. And so uh, I want to open the floor by saying that I think this book is really, really cool and one of the more unique books that I've had the opportunity to read. Uh, and so I have quite a few questions for you guys. Uh, so, Andrew, to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how the idea of the body tales of Laszlo Kale sort of came about and what what inspired the story? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so at the time I was watching a, a ton of, uh, kind of French crime movies at the time, like, uh, Cirque Rouge, uh, and I'm going to butcher the, the, the titles. I'm sorry. Uh, but darts breathless and, and, uh, lay samurai and stuff like that. So although those movies are a little more heavy in tone, I was just kind of cramming my brain with that stuff. And, uh, I was also reading about art and, uh, art thieves. And there was a little section in the book um, that, because, you know, the movies and, and art heists and all that stuff, there's these dramatic uh, breaking into the museum and stealing and all this kind of stuff. But in real life, a lot of times they just steal paintings for a simple reason of it's easier to get across 
like a, uh, an airport or smuggle than say drugs or a suitcase full of money. So I had this concept of like, well, what would you, what else could we steal with, you know, a painting? So I won't go into any spoilers, but, um, yeah. So just that, a little nugget of that idea, um, kind of sparked, sparked that. And, uh, just some stuff I was reading, absorbing. I really wanted to go with like a European, um, you know, sci-fi vibe. I was reading a lot of humanoid stuff. Um, and then I saw Goran's, you know, amazing stuff on Twitter and, and Instagram. And I was, I wanted to reach out to him. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Goran, uh, the art is is absolutely incredible. Um, and yeah. I know... Thank you very kind of you to Yeah, I know, Andrew, that you mentioned that a lot of times uh, people who've had the opportunity to check this out early always talk about Goran's art, and I think that it's more than warranted. So, Goran, uh, when, you, when you were approached to do this book, what were some of the things that kind of made you want to be involved in the project, and then how did you develop the look and feel of this world? As for your first question, what made you want to be involved in the project, it kind of had an European flair to it. And as uh, Andrew pointed out, he was reading a lot of humanized stuff, things like that. And uh, it immediately, uh, I, I don't know how to say it, but the look I got from reading the script in my head was slightly cartoonish, more than slightly cartoonish. And uh, I don't know, it, it kind of reminded me of the fifth element in a way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I knew it had to be to look zany because the script itself was pretty zany and insane. So I knew that uh, realistic style wouldn't fit it at all because uh, I don't know if you follow uh, Jesse Ham on, on Twitter. He, he does little, little art tips for comic book uh, artists. And one thing that he said stuck with me. I don't, I don't know. It was maybe two years ago uh, that a drawing doesn't need to be good as long as it is apt, you know? It has to fit the style and the vibe of the story you're trying to tell. So I was, I, I mean, I'm always going for, <coughs> excuse me, for a good drawing, but it also needs to be apt, if not more so. So I tried to develop a style that would fit the book. And I looked at some European artists like uh, Olivia Schwartz or Yves Chaland, if you heard of them. Uh, I, I, uh, it's kind of, uh, I don't know how to describe it. it. It reminds me of Tintin, but more with, with more pronounced lines, things like that. It's re very dynamic and vibrant. And so that's what's the kind of vibe I was going for with it. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I just want to tag team on that. Um, cause I, if you look at Goran's art, he has a ton of different styles. So initially when I reached out to him, I wasn't, thinking this style at all that the book ended up and he sent me character concepts which totally like completely 180 from what i was thinking and i was like i was just blown away and i was like this is what we have to do we got to go this route because it was I, I thought it fit the book you know in tone perfectly yeah that that's one of the things that i thought was really interesting is like um to the point you just made andrew that like there there are a lot of different styles in the book but like it doesn't feel like um like, there's ever a lack of cohesion, right? Like, even some of the characters from, like, different, like, time periods, like, have slightly different shaped faces and or heads or something like that. And, like, 
it gives you kind of a good visual shorthand that there are like differences between, you know, these different characters for different reasons, but it doesn't feel like it's a bunch of different um, worlds kind of just smashed together, which is like, I think really hard to execute, you know, as, especially as, as well as you do here. Gorn killed it. That's all, that's all Gorn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it's excellent. It's excellent work, man. Thank you, thank you so much. One of the one of the fascinating things about comics that I think is pretty unique is that 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 can happen. That you Andrew can have this concept and submit this idea to Goran, and you can have a completely different image in your head of what what you initially wanted versus what Goran brings to the table. And I think that's why the collaboration between two creators in that process is so amazing because it can completely change the work. So what about the book, if anything, uh, did you alter to match the energy and vibrancy that Goran was bringing to the table? Well, I think one of this, and you can feel free to jump on Goran if you want, but I think a lot, once I saw, uh, cause we, you know, we, the way that we worked is he, we, he would get, he got the script, he would do layouts. We'd kind of talk about those, then go to pencils, uh, and, and so on. Um, so I would, once we got the layouts, I would see something and I'm like, oh, maybe we can add a little more something there or we would just heighten it because the, the, the book is pretty banana town. Like it's, 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 it's pretty crazy. And yeah. <laughs> banana town. That would have been a good alternate title. Banana town. <laughs> yeah. yes. Also a great band name. That is good. <laughs> and then Goran would add things that I didn't put in the script and I would just be like, that's, that's perfectly fits. Like, like the little heart-shaped tattoo on uh, Laszlo's face, that was all Goran. So there's just like little details oh. like that that he would add that were perfect. And there's a the the uh, airport scene, for example. Um, if you look at, there's a whole bunch of different types of uh, ships in the air, and that's Goran. Goran just added like a whole bunch of you know craziness there. So there's like little things like that. Like we would kind of feed off each other and oh let's do this because we would just try to you know ramp it up as much as we as we could to fit on the page yeah i don't want to necessarily impact the whole but i do like adding little details like that you know just to add a little bit of flair or or, or you know yeah i think it worked good you added a lot of flair and uh i i think <laughs> it's crazy because i can't see this any other way now you know i, I obviously i wasn't privy to the story before uh we had the opportunity to read this but this seems like the way this should look, if that makes sense. Thank you so much. That's the highest compliment, you know. If, if the art fits the book, that's all I can do. You know? Well, like the double page spread in the, the first uh, two, page two and three, which we'll let the, the reader check that out for themselves. But like the photographs he's looking at on the computer, like our conversation of what goes on in that, <laughs> in that, tele, in that, in that computer screen, Oh. Is that was a fun email exchange going back and forth? Nothing I ever thought I'd say. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So he would surprise with a lot, a lot with that stuff too. Yeah. So Laszlo in particular is a pretty unique character. You bring up that that double page spread, and as you said, we'll leave it to the to the viewers uh, later when they get the opportunity to check it out. But um, what sort of inspired this character? Because um, in the best way, he's very different than almost every single other protagonist that I've ever seen. 
And this was hard, and you could tell by my rambling uh, exposition when you first asked. It, it's hard because there's so many things that went into this book and him in general that it was kind of like I threw a bunch of ideas in a brain blender and, and stirred it up and poured it out um, that it, it's kind of hard to narrow it all down. But I was reading a lot of historical stuff uh, at the time, actually about like, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Weimar Berlin. Um, in the 1920s. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that at all, but um, Berlin before the Nazi takeover was just sounded like a wild place. And if you guys seen Babylon Berlin on Netflix, have you guys seen that by chance? Oh, it's pretty, it was pretty crazy. Check it out. Um, but I was reading all about that. Um, and I was also reading about um, the, the, so it's all about the gay subculture in, in, in Berlin and the early, uh, 1920s and even before that. Um, and then that also dovetailed into, they brought up Paris and a lot of the, the gay subculture in Paris as well. And it was so ahead of its time because you look at all the problems we still have today and all the stuff that they were, I mean, just the, the rights and uh, everything that was happening in both of those places was far, far ahead of anything. You know, you, you read it now, it almost feels like we're, we're behind compared to that. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, both of those places were, were interesting places to have a story. So that kind of encouraged too the, the time element. Um, but I wanted to, and if you look even at, at the book now, the world, um, even though there's still issues like race is still an issue, um, as you see with the, the politician, but I'm hoping that it comes across that things like gender and, who you want to be with is less of an issue, although there's still clearly problems. But I just wanted Laszlo to be kind of a vessel for that, where he shows that it just that kind of stuff doesn't matter, um, and just have this new kind of adventure where where that's less of an issue. If that makes any rambling sense, <laughs> no, it, it it does. It absolutely does. Uh, this you know, feel free to not answer this if this is make, question makes you uncomfortable. But was there any trepidation on your part in writing uh, a gay character? Um, did that did you did you feel any concern about the fact that you were not a gay man and could you bring an authenticity to that um, to that world and, and to that perspective? Oh, completely. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm a straight guy. And that, that was a definite, definite concern. Um, I tried this, I actually use, you know, I, I reached out to quite a few readers because I, I really didn't want to, that's like the, the, the epitome of what you don't want to do. Right. You don't want to, uh, come across as, uh, just ignorant and offensive. And so that was a, that was a huge, yeah, definitely. So, you know, that was something that I, I didn't want to do and hopefully didn't do, but well, the thing that one of the things that I enjoy most about this book, uh, especially when you're when you're talking about the characters, is what you said that when you read it, uh, at least when I read it, there was never the thought in my mind of, "Wow, this is you know this is weird." Like it, it's weird, but it's the character himself, Laszlo, his exploits, the characters around him, everything that they're doing is so normal in the sense that you don't present it as weird that you quickly accept this world that he's gay and everything else. And that was something that I really appreciated was that there wasn't an effort to make a big deal out of anything um, that it's, that it's normalized. And I think more approaches like that are required uh, not just in comics, but in storytelling in general. 
Well, awesome. Oh, that's good to hear. Thank you. I did actually want to ask a question um, because I, I agree with you, Sean. Um, but uh, in in the uh, opening, um, I guess, like, uh, kind of introduction of Laszlo as a character, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we do see him with at least, like, one woman who's, who seems to be one of his clients. Um, so is he a gay man? Is he, like, pansexual or something? Like, obviously, he had a gay relationship with, uh, with Poe, but... Um, is that something that we're going to like find out in the story or is that something that like you haven't necessarily figured out yet? No, I, I had him as uh, pansexual because there's going to be, especially with dimensions and everything, there's going to be, you're going to be all over the, all over the spectrum. So, um, sure. that was how I, I, how I saw him. That's, that's kind of how I read him too, for whatever reason. And I, and I don't, I couldn't tell you why. Um, but yeah, he definitely gave me like, kind of like a, uh, almost like, like a, like a modern gritty, like Freddie Mercury kind of vibe, and I was like, I'm, I'm really into this guy. You know, he's got like a real charm to him, and it's like a swagger. You know, gritty uh, Mercury. That's pretty awesome. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> Another good band name. <laughs> <laughs> that is good, gritty Mercury. <laughs> so, uh, piggybacking off of that, um, music has been brought up a few times, and sometimes when I interview people, I like to ask them about. Uh, whether or not they listen to music when they're crafting. So, uh, Andrew, to start, when you're writing or when you're conceptualizing, do you listen to music at all? It's tough. So I can I can do that with outlining, but when I'm actually like scripting, scripting, I can't listen to anything with lyrics. So I can have kind of like ambient stuff on, but um, writing I just can't because then I'll start singing the stuff and then it's just yeah I, I can't can't do it. <laughs> was was there any any music in particular that uh, fed into the ideas into the to the you know conceptual stage uh, when you were outlining or even before that. Definitely uh, Velvet Underground and Nico. Like that's that's even where Nico's name comes from. Um, mm. the, the the chauffeur character. So yeah, that was definitely uh, going in there. So I don't know if that shows or not, but um, yeah, that's what I was kind of listening to at the time she, she definitely like i i feel like visually has that kind of aesthetic you know like i when now that you say that it's like oh yeah i could totally see that you know the uh no and, and me and gorn went back and forth on on her design and i, I really like how it ended up but I, you know because we even though she's a super badass as you see like she's real tiny almost looks like a kid sister um i think the prompt you sent me was like uh an idea of someone's college girlfriend, and that's where it clicked for me with the hair and you know the leather jacket, things like that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What about for you, Garn? Do you are you able to listen to music when you're working? Well, uh, during the layout stage, not so much because I don't want other images entering my mind. I, I really need to focus during the layout stage. But after that, uh, everything is kind of just. Much easier, actually. And so while I was drawing Laszlo in the background, I was usually playing prog rock, Pink Floyd, things like that, because it felt kind of fitting, you know. And I think, actually, that I put in the big spread a little pyramid with the rainbow colors hidden somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so definitely a lot of Pink Floyd while I was drawing it. But as I said, during the layout stage, not so much because it's distracting. Sure. Uh, so I, I want to get some background on uh the both of you obviously this is a a project that you guys are hoping does really well um but you guys you guys are i'm assuming relatively new so uh i'm curious andrew uh how did you first develop a love for comics i uh 
believe it or not, I didn't read comics till really late, um, probably like 2021. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, I, I, I grew up in like a super uh, strict religious household, and there, and and so they were like, no, 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 there's too many titties in this. This is no, 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 you can't, <laughs> you can't be looking at this stuff. So I, I remember, I mean, the X Men cartoon and and uh, Batman animated series, those were you know huge with me. But for the most part, I just you know I love drawing, but I didn't actually start reading that stuff until 2021. And uh, I remember reading Preacher and was just like, holy shit, like, <laughs> like that. I mean, if you haven't read, or if you think only comics are like Spider Man and stuff, and then you then you right. get the Preacher. You're just like, you know, and I'm, I'm in college at the time. And, and so I had all these different ideas and I was, I was actually doing like stand up and stuff at the time. So I was, I was doing a lot of writing, but not in terms of scripting and stuff. Um, and, but I was just shotgunning all these comics and I started experimenting with, with scripting and, and, uh, eventually started making comics. So it kind of weird way to get there, but, um, yeah. And now, now I, I, it's like a drug. I can't getting like, you know, emails from Gorin or, or whoever with new art updates is just, oh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it, you know, makes your week. <laughs> I bet, man. Uh, especially when you're getting such high quality stuff in your email box. That's, that's incredible. Uh, and, but this isn't your first work, right? Right, right. Um, I have two books out, Rum Row, um, which is sort of like a Jules Verne meets the untouchables. Um, dirigible speakeasies and and all that so when prohibition hits everybody takes the air uh, above new york so it's kind of like biplanes gangsters um prohibition themed action um that sounds awesome it's super fun yeah but and then i but but that and my other book spark are uh, which is kind of like a secret agent steampunk secret agent type deal um both of those are kind of historical uh fiction very similar pulp adventure and even though Lazlo has, you know, some time, time dimensional historical stuff, uh, for the most part is like completely different than those two. So it was, uh, I definitely want to keep making new books, but for the people that have read or backed my other Kickstarters, this is going to be something totally new. Yeah. Um, I, I checked out a little bit of, uh, of spark and, and got to see some of the, some of the art behind it. And it def- definitely looks really cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Kickstarter. What, what is it like for you to work on these Kickstarters? Um, and what do you think makes a successful Kickstarter? Um, the easy answer to that is getting funded. Uh, <laughs> I've been very lucky so far, but I know that, you know, you can hit that, that mid month slump and that gets a little nerve wracking sometimes. But, um, I think the biggest thing that I've struggled with is once you get to the delivery point is making sure you're covering all your, your extra charges that you didn't think were going to happen. And and that always happens. Something that you just thought was in your control and wasn't. Um, Cause you know, these books cost money to make. Um, they're not cheap. And, and I, and unlike um, some campaigns, I like to have the book completely finished before we go to the campaign. Because there's nothing worse than having to wait like two years for a book to come out, which, you know, can happen pretty frequently. Um, so I just want to make sure that all they're waiting for is the book to get printed and shipped. Um, so it's just trying to have all that prep ahead of time. Um, 
and that kind of stuff, really. Yeah, uh, I've spoken to a lot of a lot of uh, creators who are very involved in kickstarting their projects, and uh, it's it's amazing because every single one gives a different answer, um, but they're all right at the same time. Uh, and I think uh, we've all had that experience of kickstarting something and then you know never getting it or waiting forever to get it. Marco, I think you've you've probably uh, experienced that yourself, right? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah. Uh, so frustrating to say the least, but I think your strategy is a good one. Uh, Goran, so how did you get into comics? Well, <clears throat> completely opposite of Andrew. I uh, started reading because I wanted to read comics. I was like maybe four years old and I saw the pretty pictures. I think it was Mickey Mouse comics, things, something like that, DuckTales, things like that. And I made my parents and my grandparents teach me how to read so I can read the comics. It's always been about pictures for me. I really wanted to, to see what's behind the pictures, you know. And uh, after that, it just kind of went its normal course. I started looking for more and more comics, different comics. Never got into superheroes that much, but, you know, maybe it's because of the different uh, market here in Europe. So if uh, if you weren't reading superhero stuff, what was the kind of stuff that you were interested in when you were like a teenager or maybe like a young adult? Right. Uh, heroic fantasy stuff mostly. Uh, science fiction, uh, also Italian comics uh, like uh, Dylan Dog or Tex, or I don't know if you heard about these th things because they're mostly popular only in Italy and in the region of former Yugoslavia, but uh, those were the, some kind of formative comics for me. So a lot of horror, adventure, westerns, things like that. I think it's pretty fascinating uh, that as Americans, like there's a lot of books that we don't get. And so there's a whole other culture within comics that, you know, I'm not exposed to. And I consider myself, you know, a big reader. There's stuff I've, I've never seen. Uh, what, are, what, if anything, would you say are the differences between the sort of the American comics and then the comics that really are popular in Europe, if, if there's any difference? Well, I might, I am by no means an expert, but Somehow it seems to me that in America, comics are more like a genre than a medium. And in Europe, they're just, you know, anything goes, actually. It's just a story told in pictures. You can, you can do anything. It doesn't have to be a man with a cape. And not, not to say that superhero comics are bad. I, I read a few of them and I like them. But uh, kinda, I, I kind of feel like uh, Europeans see comics more broadly as a medium and not just a genre. Goran's a man after my heart. <laughs> I, th I think that's a really interesting way of putting it though you know it's something that we've talked about a lot on the show um especially when we've had uh guests who weren't who weren't american um and yeah and i, I think uh, i've never heard someone put it that way though um the idea of it being a genre versus a medium here um it's grossly simplified you know don't 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 take me wrong but uh it's kind of in the broadest possible possible strokes i think that's the main difference and I, I would probably say, uh, if, 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 if in no other way, that's correct regarding public perception. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's like, I, I feel like comics are bigger in terms of public knowledge than they ever have been before. But at the same time, that's true. all the Marvel stuff is almost making that, what Gorn's point, even more true. Um, where it's like, even though there's a ton of movies that are getting made, like I Kill Giants just came out. Um, Road to Perdition. I mean, there's a million 
comic book movies, but people just don't know they're comic books. But when they think yeah. comic books, they're thinking Avengers, Infinity, and and all that stuff. But it's like, yeah, I mean, most of my I, I have very few friends that actually like comics. And all that mostly is because they think it's, you know, Spider-Man or, or Superman. And it's like, no, there's a whole bunch, like whatever you're into, they've got yeah, there's a comic for that. <laughs> 20 titles of it, you know? So that's right. something that's kind of frustrating to me because, you know, I, I don't really tell people, I mean, because I'm a public school teacher by, by day job, but it's like, you don't tell people that you write comics because they just, if you're going to have to have a 20 minute conversation of what that really means, right? You know? It's like, well, so you write superhero stuff? You write for, and it's like, no, 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 no. And then you go in this whole long, you know, rabbit hole. Yeah, we were actually uh, talking about this last week uh, on the show. And, and one of the things that um, that we brought up, right, was like for the last, you know what, uh, for the better part of the last seven years, we'll say, The Walking Dead was the most popular show on American television. And how many like suburban parents have no idea that that's a comic or have never, and how many people have watched that show I've even maybe even read one of the comics and I have no idea what image is by name, you know? Oh, totally. Totally. So, uh, yeah, this is a subject that we, we talk about like all the time on this show. Um, uh, it's basically our bread and butter. And so I guess if anything, what do you think would help change that perception of comics? Uh, at least here in America. Age old question. The million dollar yeah, question. Yeah, I was gonna say that's really <laughs> that's tough. I'll tell you what, our comic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that was a good opportunity for a plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're rookies. We're rookies. Laszlo Kale. Plug the Kickstarter. Plug the Kickstarter. Let's go. <laughs> the uh, yeah, that Kickstarter is going live Tuesday, and then I, let's let's bust out the Jim Rugg is doing a, a variant of the cover, and uh, I'm a huge Jim Rugg fan, so the fact that he was uh was down to do a cover i, I kind of my jaw almost fell out on the floor so it was uh yeah and you guys got to see it so i i think he did an awesome job yeah yeah it's sick yeah uh i i really really liked it um and and just so we're clear is that a is that a comics pals exclusive he, uh, I, I i did do another podcast already but this is going live before, so I'm going to say yes. Comic spell exclusive. Boom! Yes. There you go. <laughs> All right. We live for this. here first. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, the variant is awesome. Jim Rugg did a, a really great job with this it's one. It's fantastic. It really is. Yeah. Um, so what what's the plan going forward? Say the Kickstarter is successful. Of course it will be. Um, what's the plan beyond uh, funding this first issue? Well, the, the goal is to do three issues total, but they're going to be oversized uh, like this issue so that we're going to have a nice little trade. Um, I mean, with the premise, and what, I don't even think I've actually said the premise. I'm really good at describing comics, as you guys can see. Um, but it, the, the premise is basically uh, sort of like a Thomas Crown Affair meets Fifth Element or Casanova. Um, it's about an uh, ex-gigolo uh, turned art dealer who lives in Paris uh, after an interdimensional time bomb exploded. So it's this Paris is this unique uh, ecosystem of all these different, you know, uh, time periods and dimensions. Um, so there's, with that premise, we can go almost anywhere, right? Like there's a lot of, like, I, I didn't want to introduce the reader to too many things, um, just set up the world and the characters, but, you know, Laszlo acquiring art in different dimensions or different time periods. I mean, we haven't 
even scratch the surface with that. There's uh, what are the clubs, bars, restaurants like, you know, a night out with Nico and Laszlo um, in this city. I mean, there's just a million different things we could do with this, all the villains that could come out of these portals. So I, I have a plan for two more issues and there's a lot of stuff I want to explore. So um, a lot to pack in there if we, fingers crossed, uh, Kickstarter goes well. Um, how method was this process? Were you hopping through portals? Did you take a ghost enema a few times when writing it or when drawing it? Uh, <laughs> ghost enema, another band name. <laughs> ghost enema, yes, that's a solid band name. That's a great name for like a prog metal band. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of the dimension stuff and yeah, the ghost, that's all autobiographical. So yeah, that was definitely, that's my Friday night. A slice of life comic. <laughs> Just a normal Tuesday night for most of the readers. It's even oh a work day. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, so again, get this book. Go to Kickstarter. Uh, obviously, this is a very unique concept uh, from two people who clearly um, have the chops to do something successful. Uh, again, we had the opportunity to read it. You're going to love it. Uh, it's unique. If you're looking for something different, if you're not looking to just read Spider-Man and Batman and Captain America, and yes, you know, we all love those things, uh, but there's room in comics for more. And this is part of that more. Um, and uh, we want more fresh content. So you have to support it. That's the only way to get it. Right. So uh, head over to Kickstarter uh, starts this Tuesday. Um, and support this book, The Body Adventures of, of Lazo Kale. We're giving it the stamp of approval, everybody. Body Tales, excuse me. The Body Tales of Lazo Kale. I don't know why I keep saying adventures. So uh, with, with our guests, uh, we really love to play a game called Apples and Origins. Uh, so Pete is going to take it away and we're going to have him explain the game and then we'll jump right into it. Yes. So Apples and Origins, as Sean said, is a game that we like to play every time we have a guest on the show. Uh, and what we're, what we're going to do is essentially put one minute on the clock and then we're going to go like round robin style and, uh, develop a pitch for a comic. Uh, so like every time it's your turn, you basically just add one kind of element onto whatever has already been said. Uh, and then when that one minute round is up, we all have to come up with a title for the monstrosity that we've created and then vote on who had the best one. But you're not allowed to vote for yourself. I'm very worried that Goran's going to win this because he clearly has an aptitude for band names, which makes me think he's going to have an aptitude for comic names. His title game is on point, so we'll have to see. <laughs> Uh, so we usually like to let um, one of the guests start. So uh, how about we'll start with Andrew and then we'll go to Sean, Phil, Marco, myself, and then end on Goran. So I just start with like a character name or premise or something like yeah, that? Yeah, whatever you want. And we can kind of start with whatever and then we'll just build it as it goes. Like if we end up focusing on one character, that's cool. If we end up coming up with a pitch for like a whole universe, that's what happens. All right. I'm going to start with uh, Velociraptor. All right. So, uh, who's got the clock up? Oh, uh, uh, I can I can pull that up. Yeah, usually Kale does it, but you know he's off gallivanting across New Zealand or whatever he's doing this week. He's living that uh, Lord of the Rings lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's going on the walking tour before he moves. <laughs> All right, cool. So you got the minute on the clock. I got it. Starting with Velociraptors. <laughs> the Velociraptor lives in the world of the body tales of Laszlo Kale. 
Oh. Oh. These velociraptors are vegetarians. Uh, and they are part of a large velociraptor high society. <laughs> uh, all right. Their king is um, 10 feet tall. Okay. But there's a broccoli shortage. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to use their pack hunting skills to scour the city for broccoli. They're, they're uh, made. Oh, right. Sean, sorry. <laughs> Uh, their king is a black velociraptor. <laughs> <laughs> their their major export are ghost animals, <laughs> and their their major imports are carrots. <laughs> uh, so the value of carrots has been plummeting though, because there's an overabundance of it now that there's not enough broccoli. And time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> It's like Star Wars Episode One of a kind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Uh, okay, so to recap, uh, we've got a story set in the Laszlo universe. Uh, it is about a pack of high society velociraptors that have to use their hunting skills to hunt down the remaining broccoli in the city of Paris, I guess. Um, and uh, because there's a broccoli shortage, their major export, which is carrots, have uh, just just plummeted in value. So they're struggling to survive. And uh, what else we got? Oh, their pri- their other primary export is ghost enemas. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> I think think that's everything. Oh, right. No, and then their leader is ten foot tall black velociraptor. <laughs> I'm very impressed with your memory that you got all that. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> He's had a long time. Some mad the, the best part of all of that <laughs> is that could totally actually go in the comic. Like that would actually make exactly. sense. It's the first spin-off. Yeah. It's the first spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, if we see an issue two or three, a pack of velociraptors run around the we background, I'll be a very happy man. Yeah. <laughs> if, if one of them happens to have pink hair, we'll know it was based off Pete. <laughs> If one of them is black, well, it's me. <laughs> Making yourself a leader. <laughs> okay, so now uh, we'll all take a minute to try to come up with a title for this this spinoff or or you know whatever this group, and uh, and then we'll have to vote. I'm I'm ready with mine. It's not it's not great, but it came to me, and I'm I'm good with it. All right, I got mine. I, I think I I think I have mine. Okay, I got I got mine too. Sean. You got yours? I don't, but I can go last. Okay. All right. Mine is going to be Veggie Raptors, the Carrot Accords. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good one. Veggie Raptors. <laughs> can, it, can, can the rap be like Raptors with a W in the front, so it's like Veggie Rap? <laughs> oh, <I> <laughs> <laughs> well, that was low-hanging fruit. I mean, veggies. <laughs> Gotta laugh, though. <laughs> Marco, what about you? Uh, Jurassic stock. <laughs> that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, mine is weak as hell, but ever I can't get off this broccoli thing. So broccoli wars. There's wars now. Yeah, there, it's a it's an all out. It's a war, whole man. trade war. Broccoli. Episode one. We went over this. <laughs> the intricacies of trade war. Okay. <laughs> Uh, my title was Broccoli Bunch. It's <laughs> a, a loose sequel to the Brady Bunch. Mine is also mine is also about broccoli, but it, it it has kind of an epic flair to it. 
the brocosoriad. Oh. <laughs> oh man, uh, this is a tough one. Uh, still haven't even come up with one. <laughs> uh, uh, the shit. You know, guys, why are you putting me on the spot? We do this every time. <laughs> this it's fairly just the frequently. shit. That's your pick. That's your pick now. It's the shit. The That's shit. The, best title, the shit. <laughs> the, the, the body tales of the Jurassic shit. That's what we're doing. <laughs> That's the spinoff title right there. It's all done for me. You guys rewrote it for me. Boom. It writes itself, you know. Uh, I expect my check in the mail. Uh, <laughs> okay. No problem. No problem. Made, made with an arrangement by the Sean Bartley Foundation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll go just around one more time. Everybody recap their title, and then we'll 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 vote. Uh, Veggie Raptors, the Carrot Accords. <laughs> uh, Jurassic Stock. Mine was Broccoli Wars. Uh, broccoli Bunch. And the Brocosoriad. And mine was the Body Tales of the Jurassic Shit. <laughs> the most accurate title of them all. I'm not <laughs> I I gotta give it to uh, Goron because I could just see that in like a crazy comic yeah, book. Right? It's like no, like that sounds awesome. <laughs> like, it's just there, title over. Yeah, that's my pick too. I'm gonna go with Phil. Oh, I gotta I gotta I gotta keep it. Uh, he's he's my partner in crime. I'm going with the uh, Goron. Keep it in the family. <laughs> I'm going with Jurassic Stock. I'm gonna go with Goron too. All right, that's our Gorn champ. Gorn wins. All right, congratulations. Yeah, what are the winners, Brad? What I win? What I win? Uh, well, you win Sean, a no prize. Tell him what he won. Honor, honor, as soon as I, respect. As soon as I get my check, you'll receive your prize. Uh, congratulations <laughs> on your victory. Uh, so, Gorin, uh, you are a winner. That puts you in the winner's bracket. Congratulations to you. Unfortunately, Andrew... That does make you a loser. That puts you no! in the loser's bracket. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. There's there's some big talent in the in the loser's bracket. You're joining the company of the likes of uh, Dirk Manning, uh, who was also in the loser's bracket. Ryan Cady. Uh, so you know there 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 are people in there, and you guys will fight your way out um, like <laughs> dinosaurs to determine the ultimate victor from the loser's bracket to challenge the winner to be the champion. <laughs> The apex loser, as it as yeah. it were. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, the apex loser never sounded so good. <laughs> that's another. That's another comic title right there. I'd read that. Or a band name. Or a band name. <laughs> there you go. Apex losers. Apex losers. <laughs> uh, so normally uh, here we would do pals polls where we kind of talk about the books that we're excited for this upcoming week. Uh, but before we, t- we talk about it, I want to turn the floor over to Andrew and Goran. Uh, just tell us what books you guys are reading right now. So, Goran, why don't you start us off? What books are you really kind of excited about at the moment? What are you digging into? Well, uh, actually, I'm quite busy at the moment drawing a, a fantasy graphic novel. But uh, keeping in, in that you know subject matter, I was uh, pretty impressed by Coda from uh, oh. is it Image Comics, I think. It's like a post-apocalyptic fantasy world uh, with vicious uh, pentacorns and things like that. It's it's really it's really great, really uh, prettily drawn, let's say, uh, by I think his name is Matthias Bergara. Not quite sure. Uh, 
amazing artwork. That's why I picked it up. Uh, so Coda from Image Comics, I think. Awesome. The uh, I'm gonna shout out some uh, fellow Kickstarter love. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the Edge Off. Uh, it had a Frank Quietly cover, which Whoa. was beautiful. But uh, the the team is Fraser Campbell and Ian Laurie, and it's like a super trippy like David Lynch murder. A hitman has to go find his daughter, but he's all drugged out on some crazy drug and he has to you know tell what's real and what's not and and go get his daughter back and it's awesome like it made i'm, I'm like i gotta make better con- like I, I gotta level up like it was that <laughs> awesome well uh as i'm buying or as i'm opting into your kickstarter i think i'm gonna have to pick that one up too that sounds amazing. yeah that sounds cool uh just to correct myself it wasn't image comics but boom boom oh, okay. right so i apologize i'm sorry that's okay. Actually, uh, our guest from last week, Kathleen Kralowek, shouted that book out as well. Uh, yeah, she's yeah. an artist, and she really enjoyed it. So there's there's a connection there. Uh, awesome. Were there any other books you guys wanted to uh, mention? I'm always kind of – I have a huge you know slush pile. I'm always way behind, yeah. so I kind of read stuff Aren't like, like yep. months and months. Yeah. So I'm I'm re- – I'm beep, beep – oh, sorry. BPRD, I love. It's like one of my favorite books. And it's going to wrap. Is it wrapped up or it's almost wrapped up? I think it wrapped up. <laughs> but I'm like way behind. So I'm just like binging that. And I just, oh, I Hell love yeah, that dude. book. Love that book. That's the good shit. I'm sad that it's, it's going to be done. Well, it's not done for you, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It can go as long as you want it to. It never ends if you don't finish it. That's what I've been, uh, that's what I've been telling myself about Invincible. <laughs> So, uh, real quick, uh, our palace polls for the week. Marco, you chose Go Go Power Rangers Volume 1. Yeah, it's been the book that I know Kale has mentioned in the past. um, That is sort of like the more slice of life direction of the Power Rangers versus the actual, um, the action-oriented stuff. So, that's something that I've been really meaning to explore. Uh, So, yeah, I'm excited that it's in trade so I can pick it up now. And Farmhand, number one. So, this is the... uh, new book by rob guillory which is he's he was the artist on uh chew which was another image series so this is also coming out on image and um that i i just like his work he chews really good um i i'm like halfway through it right now but uh, i've been having a lot of fun with that book and the art's really really good so uh yeah i'm just i'm following uh, i'm following him to his next adventure awesome nice uh so Pete and I both chose Amazing Spider-Man number one. Pete, you can talk about that. Sure. Uh, So speaking of Invincible, uh, my boy Ryan Otley is uh, picking up the mantle here on Amazing Spider-Man number one, uh, which is so exciting for me uh, for a number of reasons. Obviously, Otley is my favorite artist in the business. I've said that uh, plenty of times on this show. Um, So I'm excited to see him pick up, you know, the my favorite superhero from my childhood and uh, also the fact that um, we're getting a new writer on Amazing Spider-Man for the first time in quite some time. And uh, I think I've, I've made my feelings about Dan Slott's run uh, pretty well known, despite the fact that I did like his last two issues. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just excited for a new direction for, for Peter and to get to see my favorite artist uh, do something aside from Invincible, you know, because as much as I love Invincible, it's like really the only thing he had time for for the last, you know, decade plus um aside from the odd thing here or there so uh, i'm really excited to see him stretch his legs with a character that i think really fits his style you know he's got a very like uh expressive and bombastic style and that works with spider-man you know who's writing it pete 
Uh, it's um, Nick Spencer, at least for the first arc. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, we'll see what happens. I, I imagine Spencer's going to stay on. I don't know how long Otley's going to be on the book because I can't imagine he's going to lock himself in on another monthly book after he just did that for so long. But we'll see. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited for it too. Love Nick Spencer, love Ryan Otley, and this is pretty promising. Uh, so <clears throat> the other book for me is X-23, number one. Um, X-23 has become one of my absolute favorites. Uh, I really love this character. I think uh, Tom Taylor did an incredible job with her as all-new Wolverine. Uh, that was just a, a, a brilliant run. Um and uh, this time, uh, Mariko Tamaki is taking on uh, X-23, and her run on She-Hulk was absolutely phenomenal. So, well, it was Hulk. Um, and uh, I can't wait to see what she does with X-23. So, I'm all in on this. Wait, cool. Was she the artist that did, and like writer of that first, second book a while ago? Uh, first second uh, that publisher I, what, what 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 has she done I, that, that name's ringing a bell so she uh, she's done quite a few things uh, skim uh, this one summer that's what I know her from yes okay oh that book yeah. is fantastic yeah 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 she's she's incredibly talented and uh, I'm glad that her name is is sort of popping out more and more uh, because her comics are incredible so she's doing Marvel stuff now. That's that's huge. Oh, okay, wow. See? Yeah, good for her. Wanted to make a quick amendment here. Uh, BPRB, uh, uh, BPRP is already... There's another issue coming out literally Wednesday. Yeah! So colossal <laughs> mistake. <laughs> I love the excitement on Andrew's part when, like... You're not even you're not even close to being caught up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. Well, now you've got something to look forward to. So, uh we're gonna we're gonna let Andrew and, and Goran uh take off. It's been fantastic having you both on. Uh, Thank you I much. really, really appreciate you joining us here. Uh, and I, I want to take another opportunity to just plug the the body tales of Laszlo Kale. Uh, the Kickstarter launches Tuesday, July 10th, which uh, if you're listening to this, the day it posts, uh, it's tomorrow. Uh, so be sure to head over there and check it out. Uh, the creative team is fantastic. And I, I don't want to limit it to Goran and Andrew, who are both doing amazing work. But uh, there's also the letters by Bernando Bryce. Oh, yeah. uh, there's also the logo and cover design by Sonia Harris. Uh, there's also all the work by Adam Pruitt. So uh, a lot of creators uh, putting their heart and soul into this, and it shines through in the work. If you're looking for something new and fun and exciting, uh, this is the book for you. And uh, definitely, definitely go at least give it a look. Uh, it's worth your time at least to check it out. And once you see it, I guarantee you're going to want to read this. So head over to Kickstarter July 10th and check this out. Thank you so much for having us on, guys. It was a blast. Yeah, yeah, you guys are welcome back anytime. Absolutely. Uh, please keep us keep us updated. Let us know what you guys are working on. We'd love to have you back for more projects. Yeah. And uh, before you guys go, where, where can everybody find you? Uh, like social media, uh, all that stuff. Um, you want to go first, Goran, or we'll cut you off? Yeah. But first of all, I want to thank you guys for having us. I apologize for my accent. And you're welcome for the band names. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And yeah, you know, Tuesday, Kickstarter. But uh, 
social media, you can just Google Goran Legovic. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. You can see what other kind of stuff I do that's not comics, sketches, paintings, things like that. So Goran Legovic or Every Goggy on Twitter. I just want to shout out, he, awesome. he did a Judge Judy, Judge Dredd combination drawing recently. That what? Oh, what? oh yeah, it's yeah. hilarious. Go on, go on his feed and find it because it's it's amazing. Most ambitious crossover in history. <laughs> I'm actually looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Judy Executioner. We'll, <laughs> that's great. I need this we'll comic. We gotta put a link with that, uh, with the rest of his social media stuff in the description. <laughs> How do you get the rights to draw and produce a Judge Judy comic book? What do you have to do to get? I'm that? not sure. I even want to know how how many legal agencies involved. <laughs> this is purely illegal. Uh, and then, uh, and then you can find me at uh, I hate Maxwell on Twitter and uh, Grenade Fight uh, on uh, Instagram. And uh, lots of art and project updates and uh, other shenanigans uh, on there. So, yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks again so much, guys, for joining us. We really appreciate it. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. And they're going to take a portal out. (laughs) So, uh, thanks again to Andrew and Gorn for joining us. Uh, I had a blast with them. Uh, Unfortunately, we do have to go into some news that's not... Uh, nearly as fun as the interview that we just did. Uh, Steve Ditko, uh, one of the three gods of comics, uh, has died at 90 years old. Uh, if you have loved Spider-Man ever in your life, uh, then you owe Steve Ditko. Um, he is the man. Uh, all of all of what we associate with Spider-Man, the whole look and feel... Um, uh, that's all him, uh, and it's not just Spider-Man. It's 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 so many different characters. Uh, he he touched the world of comics in a way that um, most people will never touch anything in their lives. Uh, he he was so so impactful uh, in this world, and there aren't there aren't words I don't think to really describe the impact uh, that he had on this industry in a way that would do him justice, so I'm not really going to try. Um, but, uh, yeah, 90. So, a very, very long life. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the saddest part about it um, for me was I read that, <clears throat> uh, you know, he was, like, notably a recluse, and uh, he was apparently, like, alone for two days before anyone found him, and it's, like, it's just sad that he had isolated himself in such a way, right? This guy who... You know, it's funny, like, I, I made a post about it after the fact because, obviously, being a huge Spider-Man fan, like, you know, Steve's work uh, meant a lot to me. Um, but it's funny because I think, like, knowing what I know about him as a person and what his views were and everything, I, I don't know that him and I would have seen eye to eye on on, on a lot, but uh, I... Um, I certainly owe him a great debt for his contributions to uh, the medium and for creating a character that uh, was really, really meaningful to me um, during my childhood and during a lot of rough points in my life. So, um, yeah, I, you know, just rest in peace to one of the all time greats that the industry's ever known. And, uh, you know, like you said, Sean, it's he's somebody who has a legacy that, you know, uh, just because of 
what he accomplished and and the generations of all-time greats that he inspired himself you know it's like it, it, it his influence will live far beyond his name and like that's really all you can ask for as a creator he's he's such a curious figure um in a lot of ways he's the anti-stan lee and at least as the way he percolates through culture and the way stan lee the other creator of spider-man in addition to many other characters obviously uh became mr marvel for all intents and purposes over the last 50 years steve Ditko became a complete recluse and just disappeared um he created uh, my favorite character in high school uh captain adam uh, in addition to that, he also <clears throat> he also created the question, which was uh, another one of my favorite characters at that time. Um, That's and, surprising, actually. Why that uh, you were like a because he's like very right wing character. Yeah. And, like that's not a thing I'd expect you to be into. It's funny, and you. It, it seems like the question really kind of uh, represented his more Ayn Rand philosophies. Um, when when I got in the question, he was being written by Denny O'Neill, who portrayed him as kind of like a Buddhist, more centrist kind of thing. But um, clearly that objectivist philosophy was laid in the original 60s stories. Um, hopefully, I mean, he had no surviving family members. Pete already mentioned that he um, was, it was two, uh, presumed two days after he died that he was discovered. Um I wonder what kind of life this li- this man lived the last 10 years. So, uh, he actually was uh, living in, a, in, in Manhattan, and he was uh, working on different things. Um, uh, actually, a comic creator named Greg Weich, Weich uh, became a friend of Ditko's uh, recently, within the last year. And uh, he would visit him at his office, um, and he uh, he w- he was there, always well dressed, always sporting a beret, um, and always working. Uh, <laughs> and we have no idea what he was working on. He you know he didn't release these things, um, uh, but uh, Greg had had this to say: he wasn't ninety. He seemed like a young, cool artist who happened to have an aged body. So. Um, and, and I did want to read a little bit. I mean, you can imagine all the outpouring of love for him and for what he did. Um, there's so much, right? But I, I wanted to read just a few words from a few different people. Uh, so from Neil Gaiman, uh, Steve Ditko was true to his own ideals. He saw things his own way, and he gave us ways of seeing that were unique, often copied, never equaled. I know I'm a different person because he was in the world. Uh, so, you know, Neil Gaiman, one of the pillars of creation, not just in comics, but, uh, in all forms of media, you know, the t- a titan in his, in his own right, celebrating this life. Um, and then, um, uh, Joe Quesada had some things to say as well that I thought were, were, um, uh, poignant. Um, only a small group of individuals can claim that they have affected and redefined not just an industry, but popular culture worldwide. Steve Ditko was one of the few who dared to break molds every time his pencil and pen hit a blank sheet of paper. In his lifetime, he blessed us with gorgeous art, fantastical stories, heroic characters, and a mystical persona worthy of some of his greatest creations. And much like his greatest co-creation, Steve Ditko's legend and influence will outlive us all. 
I think those are perfect words to summarize his life and who he was. Um, and yeah, it's a big loss. Uh, I think, though, what I always come back to is when you have a legacy to stand on like this, you know, that's that's what you that's what he lived for. Obviously, he didn't live for family or or anything like that. He lived for his work. And how many people can say that they were as successful as he was? So uh, while we're while we're on the subject, uh, I I did want to make mention of Harlan Ellison's death as well. Oh right, uh, he, yeah. Um, Harlan Ellison is a writer that uh, I think a lot of people know but have probably forgotten about in more recent years. Um, Harlan was a an incredible science fiction writer. Um, he had a huge impact, his writing did, on me as a person um, uh, and on my creative endeavors. And a, a lot of people uh, have those same feelings. Uh, there was a very similar outpouring of support when the news came out about Harlan. Um, a lot of people don't know that he wrote comics and that he had a huge influence over the industry as well. A lot of comic book writers um, were influenced by his work, not just in comics, but in different places. Um, Harlan is the uh, the unsung hero of the, the, the Terminator franchise. A uh, little known fact is that his stories uh, were appropriated illegally by James Cameron uh, to create what we now know to be the Terminator, and he sued and won uh, for for that. So, um, another another man with just an incredible life uh, who gave to this world some creations that people will never forget. And uh, I just wanted to take that time out to celebrate two individuals who, you know, f- for certain at least, Ditko makes up a piece of all of us. And uh, for me personally, Harlan Ellison as well, so... If, rest in peace. if you haven't seen uh, Demon with the Glass Hand, I think it's called, which is what yes. Terminator is based on, the Outer Limits episode, it's a uh, it's freaking great. It's probably the best episode of the Outer Limits. And then um, he wrote The City on the Edge of Tomorrow and Star Trek. That is also maybe the best episode of that show. Um, Dan Pioneer in this industry of science fiction. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to brighten things up and, and move into some, some better stuff. Uh, DC has announced that they will be promoting Brian Michael Bendis' Superman comics with TV commercials. Now, on this show, we often talk about the different ways that comic book companies can uh, do better to promote their books, and uh, we now know that this will be occurring. Brian Bendis tweeted out the following. Just approved a cut of the TV commercial DC is gearing up for our Superman titles this summer. It's the kind of promotion stores have been asking publishers to do for years. So exciting. Promotion. Outreach. Uh, Now, we know that... uh, his most recent Superman offerings are not the best, but uh, I don't think that that I don't think that that necessarily makes a difference as to whether or not they should be promoting his stuff. What do you guys think about this? I have a theory. <clears throat> I think this has been a long con plan by Alan Moore to basically <laughs> screw DC over. I think he cast some dark ass magic shit 20, 30 years ago. 
and it's only being realized now because who else would who else would commercialize Brian Michael Bendis's Superman? Who more dastardly than the jaded Alan Moore who feels he was screwed over by DC? That's my theory I'd like to present to all of you. Well, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're crazy. Am I crazy like a fox? (laughs) (laughs) In the memory of Steve Ditko, I have to channel my inner question here. And here's another theory. The question, Steve Ditko, Alan Moore, Rorschach. Not a coincidence. I rest my case. That's 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 a well known fact. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Wait, what, oh, what were I you see. trying to get at? No, they're related. It's all intertwined. It makes Phil. This is making sense, actually. Holy uh-huh. guys, shit, guys! I wrote I wrote a whole article about this. This is this is this is common knowledge. But how does that how does that dovetail into Brian Bendis? Well, think about it, right? So it's Didco created Spider Man. Spider Man's from Marvel, but then you also have the question, right? And then you have Alan Moore. That relates everything back to. Marvel at which point Brian Michael Bendis was at when when he made when he actually did the spell it took that long of an effect to finally once he hit DC hit Superman Phil this is this is gold this is journalistic gold let me All get right. let me get my newspaper clippings out with the Alright shut up for a second Phil <laughs> Sean I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna get this burning train back on tracks here <laughs> Go for it uh so Obviously, this is a good idea, right? It's something we've been asking for on this show for a while. Have you been paid off? (laughs) You know what, sir? Uh, I I have an NDA that I need to honor, so um, I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, So, I... This is a good move from DC. I wish it was a different book, though. That's, That's the plain and simple, right? Is like... And I, I don't even like mean this to be like a meme dig at Brian Michael Bendis. Like I I wanted to you know defend his Superman, but like Man of Steel was not good. Um, and I don't have any reason to believe that Action Comics or his run on Superman are going to be any better. So as much as this is like a big deal and everything, and like I understand wanting to capitalize on this in this moment with this creator with this property, I. Uh, I wish they were advertising a book that had more steam. Listen, once Steve Ditko passed away, unfortunately, it launched the sigil that basically cast this looming uh, looming shadow over all of us. I did wish I, I. You don't mean to be mean toward Brian Michael Bendis, but I do, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> and frankly, they should be promoting Tom King's Batman instead, which I know is a controversial statement. Yeah, I completely disagree. I think that they should absolutely be promoting Bendis' Superman. Huh? Uh, n- not because it's good, but because Bendis is a juggernaut in the industry and his name rings rings out. Uh, it doesn't matter if the book is good or not. Plenty of things are successful that suck. Uh, and by all accounts, a lot of people really enjoy it, uh, believe it or not. So, yeah, it's... Bendis is super popular for a reason. Like, we don't like it necessarily, but there are a lot of people who really enjoy what he does. And so I don't think that the quality of the book, in our opinion, is relevant. What it What is relevant is the fact that DC is doing something 
that could actually lead to an uptick in sales for all their books. You walk into a comic book store, you walking away with just Bendis' work, or you coming away with Batman 50, you coming away with Catwoman 1, you know, there's Doomsday Clock, there's a lot of other things that you could purchase, and if Bendis is the doorway to get into that, then I think that that's fantastic. I don't think there's any other writer that DC has whose name can do that. Do you guys think, low-key, that Brian Michael Bendis might actually be a wizard himself? No. If I were a wizard, I'd make you disappear. Through the portal. (laughs) (laughs) Phil, I I think, like, I'm at this point where I'm ready to go on the black market and buy some truth serum just to get a legitimate take out of you. (laughs) (laughs) No such thing exists, Pete. (laughs) <laughs> so do you have a well do you have a real opinion phil or <clears throat> I mean, why would you let him talk again sean why <laughs> I, I, I want a real thought <laughs> and at least warm, warm up the vein before you inject yourself like. <laughs> <laughs> um no obviously this is a shrewd move on uh dc's part brian michael bendis uh despite uh being kind of polarizing a lot of people love what he does. I mean, he he created an entirely new narrative style in comic books, or popularized it at least, uh, and people dig that shit. Um, this is why they signed him, right? They wanted a, a big draw. Bendis is one of the last massive draws of the industry. Uh, I, I mean, they're creating new ones, obviously, but you know, he's he's on his own tier, obviously. Um, this is this is commercially logical. Yeah. Yeah. Marco? Um I agreed with Pete. It's, I, I wish it wasn't this book, but to your point, like it'll get people into stores, it'll get people at least tangentially interested. So that's the positive here. Um other than that, it's about time they're doing this kind of thing, and I feel like they should continue to do it and do it more often and maybe learn about their audience and be able to like really hit them with stuff like uh yeah like it it, it, it's it's a work in progress but i think it's it's the right step i think especially when you put it in the context of the news we got last week with their partnership with like barnes and noble and stuff like that it seems like they're at least thinking about um marketing and outreach in a way that we haven't previously seen from one of the big two, at least not as like a massive concentrated effort, like to penetrate multiple markets and like interest new readers. Um, so I, I hope, I hope it's a, a play that works out for them. I hope that they actually uh, put this commercial out and that it airs not at 1am on, you know, AMC, but in regular time slots. 1am um, on adult swim. <laughs> You You know, know, regular time slots. Stuff, you know, a time where people will actually see it. Um, I don't want this to go unseen. I want people to actually see this and then hopefully, you know, go to their comic shop and and, and check it out. Um, Yeah. So they got to get this airing during like the CW shows or like, you know, on Cartoon Network or something. Absolutely. Uh, We will be reviewing Man of Steel number six a little later. And uh, you know we'll see we'll see where we land on that one. 
right? Wow, that was great. Right, you right there? <laughs> oh my god, the, the snake god is moving through our own audio. <laughs> the sigil's activated. Alan Moore, I'm sorry! You'll, you'll rue the day. <laughs> Foolish mortal. You cannot kill a snake god. Oh my god. Now uh, I know. Now I know. Great. Great. So, eBay and a company called Madefire are joining forces uh, in an effort to jump into the uh, digital comics space. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Madefire, uh, I think this is a really, really interesting concept. So, essentially, what Madefire is, is it's a digital comics platform, similar to lots of other places that do this. Their twist is that they actually create motion comics. So, they'll take traditional books and then add motion to them. Uh, This is something that I've wanted to see for a long time. And they're doing it. And they're teaming up now with eBay uh, to create a Madefire store on eBay that's going to sell digital comics um, in bundles to be viewed on on their own app. Uh, And they claim that they'll be uh, up to 86% off at exclusive prices. So they've got bundles for stuff like um, Injustice, Gods Among Us, Years 1 and 2, um, Transformers, uh, Star Trek, Spawn, uh, Saga, uh, Black Hammer. So a bunch of different things. And I, I actually went and looked at what their motion comics are like. And if what I saw is 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 an accurate reflection, they're really nice. They're really, really cool. And the fact that they're now teamed up with eBay, you know, provided that eBay actually injects some cash into this or puts some effort into this, uh, this could be very big and maybe even a competitor to Amazon. What do you guys think? So I don't understand eBay is like a market for people to sell things like is an auction website, right? Yeah. And well, there's some stores right. on there, but how would that work? I mean, eBay is not exclusively auction. You know, it's like obviously there's the buy it now option and there are plenty of people who post things with only the buy it now option. No, so I know, I know. It's, but it's not unheard of to have stuff marketed there that's not auction style. No, I know that, but it's 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 so free form for like individual sellers rather than something like Amazon, which is highly centralized. Sure. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's tough because like eBay does sell things from eBay, right? Like they'll have deal. Yeah, they have like they'll have deals as well. Right. Yeah, like they'll have deals sometimes with like companies where it's like, oh, they're selling this specific thing through eBay at this fixed price or what have you. And uh, like you're right that it's not necessarily common, but it's also not unheard of. It's definitely not outside the realm of like what we've seen from eBay before. Um, So I I think it's really interesting. Uh, The idea of you said that they're primarily focused on bundles, right? Like it's not like a singles market. Or uh, no, they, they have singles too. They're just currently promoting the fact that they have these bundles okay. at extremely reduced prices. I mean, for as an example, uh, they have the Injustice Gods Among Us Year One uh, for ten bucks, 
And they're that's claiming a good deal. the original price is $71. Yeah, that's a really good deal. Um, yeah, so I mean, to me, like, this can only be a good thing, right? Like, uh, another major marketplace like eBay that has, like, money and resources uh, trying to get into the conversation is only going to make... Like, if, if this is a viable platform, it's only going to make Amazon or Marvel or DC or whoever, or, you know, whoever else um, have to work harder, right? Like, competition breeds innovation. Um, and I think, especially in the case of Amazon, which we talked about, what, two two episodes back now? Um I think one of the the fears of, of Amazon, right, is that they're so good at what they do um, that they are quickly becoming a monopoly. And the problem with monopolies is that those great deals that they used to offer you, they don't need to offer you anymore once, you be, once they become the store or the place to go. So having uh, anybody else with a viable alternative is not just a good thing. It's like a, a vitally important thing. So... Um, whether or not this is going to work out remains to be seen, but I know personally, I've bought a lot more comics on eBay than I have on Amazon. So, um, that's anecdotal, but I don't know. It's something I could see playing or not playing, panning out for them if they play their cards right. Uh, in the same way that we talked about it, that it could totally happen for Amazon, right? Like, I don't think anybody has quite cracked selling comics in the digital era yet in a way that's like where profit margins are high enough for creators and publishers to like want to be a part of it while also being a value uh, enough of a value for the consumer that they would choose that over physical copies uh, unless there's that's something they were going to do anyway right cuz like you hear that a lot from people that live in like urban areas right like if you have a small apartment you don't maybe have room for 1200 fucking long boxes like Marco figured out when he moved out of his parents house uh, so maybe you buy digital for that reason. But for me, the thing that's really going to make digital pop off is when it can undercut physical sales for some reason. Because, you know, I think there are plenty of people that buy comics as an investment, you know, that they buy it because they like comics, they're a fan, they like to collect, and they think maybe it'll be worth something someday. So, like, unless you can give someone an incentive to give that up, like, why would you pay for the digital copy at the same amount of money? So, like, having these bundles, having a marketplace that is um, affordable and maybe oriented on deals to some degree, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, and it's just a matter of, is that sustainable, right? Can they do that and present enough of a value to pull the people that are already buying digitally away from Comixology or to inspire other people who don't buy digitally to buy digitally? And I don't, I don't know. I think it's an interesting problem because I know, like, a couple of you guys, Sean specifically, has expressed that he doesn't like reading books digitally, period. And I don't know if there's any deal that would make him make that switch. And I wonder how many other comics readers feel the same way. Because for me, I, I read most of my, like, I buy my books physically, bag and board them, and then read them on my computer because I don't want to touch them. Because I'm fucking anal retentive about, about comics. So, like... I, I wonder how many people there are like me that really don't care. Uh, I think I think if there were more people that didn't care, we would see very much higher digital sales. Uh, I think for me personally, what would tip me over, if anything, would be what Mayfire is doing, which is the fact that their comics are in motion. I think digital comics need to offer more. 
the fact that it's just the, the same comic book um, and doesn't enhance the reading in any way, that's not interesting to me. That doesn't help me get over the fact that I can't physically feel the book. Um, the fact that the, that's interesting. The, the fact that it's in motion uh, makes it feel like a different experience, which then makes it worth my dollars in a different way. Um, I could conceivably then buy the physical and the digital if it's going to move. If, if there's if it's going to be a different experience, that's something to consider. Uh, but as it stands, without that, I I have no interest. So. I think that that's the way of the future when it comes to digital comics. I'm surprised, honestly, that Amazon hasn't already jumped on that. I'm also surprised that Netflix didn't offer that with The Magic Order. But if Madefire is doing this, and they're doing this with mainstream comics, um, if they can catch up somehow and get the ability to do this for books that are more current or even more mainstream, uh, like Beyond Injustice, I'd love to see this for whatever doomsday clock uh if they could get in on that that is something that i guarantee i would buy i would absolutely buy doomsday clock in a uh motion comic format 1000 percent. that's interesting because i i would say like for me it's it's the opposite actually um i i don't really have any interest in motion comics like there's been a few that i've uh read or watched or whatever um you want to call it and uh they're fine. Like, it's not, like, something that um, is, like, a major turnoff to me, but it's certainly not something that I would say, like, is an incentive for me either, you know? Like, um, for uh, motion comics as a, as a thing have just never really appealed to me. Uh, I, it always just feels like kind of like a tack-on, you know, to, like, for me, like, all I want is the, oh, it's a digital version of the comic, and I don't have to, like worry about finding a decent light source or like stress out about bending the pages or whatever. Like that's, that's perfect for me. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting for me to hear that that's like actually a selling point for you. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on the same boat there for me. It's kind of just like, uh, it breaks the form for me. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily enjoy the motion aspect of it, but yeah, I'm, I mean, this is a good, this needs to be happening to have more people be able to get comics and and that's the important part and that's the thing that i think is the 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 big the big thing is that we do have that opportunity to get more comics from different places um and there's just more in general and that's always a good thing and sean if it's something that can elevate your experience that's even that's an an even tacked on better experience you know that that's better Right, and there's no universe where they're going to offer you a motion comic and not the regular one. So yeah. it's like whatever speaks to whatever consumer is like good. Like fucking yeah. Like whatever gets more people reading comics is a net positive. I, I've checked out almost every single mainstream motion comic that has been released by Marvel and DC. And I've enjoyed almost every single one of them. And uh, I think they don't do it enough. I think the technology needs to come forward more. I think what Made Fire is doing is cool. And I think that comic books need to find ways to appeal to more people. And we don't know if advanced motion comic technology is a part of what will do the trick. But I'm interested to see Made Fire try. VR comic books. Let's do it. <laughs> those are cool 
My uh, it's funny, man, because my one major concern with with motion comics, like as a thing, like if that is the the direction that the the medium is moving, you know, uh, for better or worse, that drives up the cost of making a comic in a pretty considerable way, and they're already on such like thin margins. The idea of like that having to be a thing as comics progress is uh, an interesting and it's it's an interesting thought. I don't. I don't think that would happen. Go ahead, Phil. We're gonna have to give this a new name because motion comics sounds like the way people used to like call with what people used to call movies eighty years ago. The motion pictures, the pictures, the move, movies on the go. Like we gotta give these a new name. We'll call them Moshi's, okay? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I I think uh, I I think they'll always offer both. And I don't think that Marvel or DC will ever necessarily be the primary publishers of motion comics, nor do I think that they'll ever want to release motion comics concurrently with their own books. Um, At least not them themselves. I could see partnerships and things like that, similar to what they're already doing with Made Fire, obviously. Um, there's, There's definitely room for both. And I think that there may be people who want to view their comics in motion. And if that's another sale they can make, why not make it? Yo, real quick, while we're on the subject of motion comics, uh, just shout out to MTV's Invincible motion comic that they did. Pretty tight. Cool. (laughs) Huh. Pete likes Invincible. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, I just picked it up. You know, whatever. So, uh, Jeff Lemire... And Dustin Nguyen's uh, run on the sender uh, is over, but the story itself is not. Because a sender is launching in 2019. Uh, So I don't read the sender. Marco, are you on? You're on this book, right? Uh, I'm on it in trade, though, um, and but I only have the first two or three, so I'm not caught up by any means. Yeah, I'm the same boat. I read the first two volumes, I think. Well, I guess I'm the only loser here. Uh, So why don't you guys talk about it? That's good. (laughs) That's a good-ass book. Yeah, Yeah, from what I I did read of it, it was really, really interesting. Um, You know, it's like it's all about this universe where, like, AI – is has become illegal because it's like becoming sentient essentially and that's always like a really interesting concept there was the war like yeah um so that's like that's always an interesting dynamic and i I feel like like from what i did read of it anyway um descender does a pretty good job of like like presenting themes and allowing you to like decide how you feel about them rather than like being heavy handed with it. Um, but the idea of like, did they say like what, obviously like none of us are caught up. So it's hard to say like where the series ends and where it could go. But did they talk about like what the plans are for Ascender and like what the direction of it is? So Jeff Lemire had this to say, Dustin and I love the world of Descender and we're re-energized by this new direction, which has opened all sorts of new storytelling possibilities for us. Ascender will feel like a continuation of the Descender saga and like a brand new book all in one. And then uh, Dustin added, plus, it'll be fantastic to switch from drawing machines and metal all day to all flesh and fantasy for a while. And the 
sort of tag for this is set 10 years after the conclusion of Descender. In Ascender, the machines have gone away, and in their absence, magic has reclaimed the universe. Now one girl must embark on an epic quest to find robot kind and its fabled boy messiah, T.I.M. 21, before it's too late. Oh. Well, that's so. the main character of Descender, so. Huh. Okay. Um, that's really cool. <laughs> that's like a really unexpected twist, but all right, yeah. Yeah, uh, having not read a single issue of Descender, uh, I, I, I love both members of the creative team, and I think uh, if it were launching today with a new number one, I would buy it. So I'm going to buy this and then go back and read the rest because uh, it's, it seems, it's a weird thing. It's weird that I'm not reading it. So so uh, this is a, a news story that I thought was pretty interesting. It's It's not necessarily a big piece of news but bob layton who is probably best known as uh, a writer of iron man uh had some pretty interesting things to say about where he thinks the comic book industry is going uh now he is a co-creator of scott lang and ghost who obviously um are in ant-man and, and the wasp um and he feels like comic books are about to die so he had the following to say. Yeah, because Marvel now is about the brand, not about the characters anymore. Everything's that Marvel brand, you know? I don't think it's the same thing. It's like artists are taking front and center on a lot of books, and it was never that way. I mean, most of the guys who grew up, they only found out I did the book in retrospect. They were just reading it every month because they couldn't wait for the next issue. And that's how it should be. Shouldn't be about us. We shouldn't overshadow the characters of the story. But they're at such a point where sales are so low... Two, that anything sells a book. That's part of the problem to me. Being on the inside and having been a businessman in the industry, I saw the writing on the walls. It's an unsustainable business model. You can't keep going on. Sooner or later, Marvel and DC, Marvel or DC, Warner Brothers or Disney will look at the publishing arm as diminishing returns. Both of them have the largest reprint libraries in the world. I mean, think about when's the last time you saw a Mickey Mouse comic? Mickey Mouse is the most popular character globally, most known character. They don't make Mickey Mouse comics anymore. That's not true. Uh, w- that was me adding that. Once you <laughs> climb the rungs of the ladder, I mean, I just I don't know why you would make a statement like that. That's false. Once you climb the rungs of the ladder and become part of the lexicon, you push the ladder off. You're on top. All this other stuff, Iron Man sells, what, 20,000 copies a month or something? You think they're even making a profit off that? And the price keeps going up. Now we're competing with Netflix. When comics hit $7, they're dead because it's just cheaper to get a Netflix subscription and watch all the Marvel stuff in the cinematic universe. So as I said, 10 years ago, I saw the writing on the wall. And not that I don't love comics. I do. I saw as a businessman having owned two companies, it's an unsustainable business model. This industry hasn't changed in 75 years. We're still putting out this pamphlet that you have to encase in plastic so it doesn't rot. What do you guys think? Man, he's an expert. <laughs> I think uh, the the truth lay, lies somewhere in the middle of the two extremes on this, right? Like, I don't think that, like, obviously some of the stuff he's saying is just flat out not correct, right? Like you pointed out, um, there's some holes in the, the way he's presenting this information. Um, that being said, some of the stuff he's saying, I think, isn't, isn't off base. Uh, and it's stuff that we've talked about on this show a lot, you know, um, I, I do think that, like, there is a problem with the model and the fact that it hasn't 
it hasn't significantly changed in a long time. Um, but even what he's saying isn't true, right? That it hasn't changed, what he's saying, 70 years or 75 years? It's not true. Um, we, we've seen a lot of evolution in the comics industry and not just like the advent of digital, right? Like the direct market didn't exist until the early 90s or the late 80s. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think there's a there's an issue of like comics as a medium being a little bit like uh, short-sighted isn't the word, but like we look at history with rose-colored glasses, right? Like the comic book store didn't always exist, right? And and how comics have been sold and what the priorities of companies has been has changed, you know? And like for him to say that like, oh, the creators have never been at the forefront, right? Like that's not really true either, right? Like they've never probably been at the forefront at the way they are right now because comics are probably more niche, Um and and have a have a uh, bigger opportunity through social media for like there to be that really like tight comic book store conversation happening happening at like more a more mass market level, but you know like in the '90s there was plenty of like all star creators when and that was like a big push in the industry of wanting to make people like you know Liefeld a name and stuff like that like this it's so so much of this stuff is like cyclical and it, it has happened before and it's like. Like, yeah, we are competing with a lot more media than ever before. That's a totally salient point. Comics need to evolve uh, to thrive or or they they might die. I don't think that he's totally off base to say that the industry is uh, at a turning point or it should be at a turning point. Um, But I don't I don't know that it's as doom and gloom as he as he wants to make it sound, because I think that like no matter what. Uh, like the, the stuff he's saying about Marvel and DC, I think is totally off base. Like, I, I think that as long as, um, the IP is so valuable, like they're going to keep making comics. Like they're like, they're probably not making big money, uh, from any of these books, but I, I don't think that Marvel or DC are not profitable. Right. And as long as they're profitable and the suits have the vision that comics are the backbone of the business because that's where the new characters come from. That's where we farm out the stuff that we can put on T-shirts or fucking lunchboxes or make an animated series or whatever. As as long as it's that, which we talked about last week, right? Like comics, that's what they are right now. Hollywood is going to comics to squeeze every original idea out of it that they can. And I think as long as um, Warner and Disney look at comics that way, which I think they do, they're fine. At least the the big two are. Like, they're institutions. You know, Spider-Man is an institution. Superman is an institution. And even if, like, we do see the market shrink, like, that maybe that's what needs to happen right now. You know, like, maybe there does need to be a restructuring. Maybe we do need to see a pop or a collapse uh, for it to be rebuilt. You know, and like that happens. It's happened before and comics survived, you know, and and I don't I don't think that comics as a medium are in any way vulnerable. I think comics are going to exist no matter what. It's just a matter of is there a profitable industry around them? Is there a business model that's sustainable for everyone involved? And that remains to be seen. You know, we could see the collapse of the comic book store in the next five to ten years. We could see the end of, you know, um, the the size of 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 Marvel and DC. Those things are, are totally possible. And we'd be not naive to say that they're not. But, you know, I think there's there's so many question marks and so many unknowns 
um, with where the industry is going and who these new players are. That's why we have something to talk about every week, right? That's why this is such a reoccurring topic on this show is that it's a volatile time right now. And having a really major, to use this corporate word, like disruptive force, now's, now's a perfect opportunity for that. So it's hard to say. Bob, Bob, you brought this on yourself, man. I can't. You made Pete read his essay. He just recited his. <laughs> he just recited his damn thesis at you. You've been fucking wrecked, my dude. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have for the show this week. Uh, it's been real. Get at me at loud underscore Pete. <laughs> well, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> oh no, I thought we were cutting there. Um. Uh, I guess just like the last bit even is just it, it, that was clearly coming from his point is sort of coming from one perspective and if anything the the medium is continuing to grow I mean we just had two creators who are launching a Kickstarter like the barrier for entry is very low and the the people who want to make it regardless of there being a market are going to make it and it's it's not dying and I don't think it's going to be dying anytime soon or it's gonna die i think if anything to pete's point it's just going to be a a restructuring and a reshuffling of of chairs at different levels within the industry also just when you're a kid you don't know who's writing or illustrating your books you know and like the people that say like oh they didn't realize i was doing this yeah because they probably read it as kids my dude when you're an adult you, as a kid, you'll read a book to follow a character. As an adult, you'll read an author or an artist to follow their work because if you follow strictly a title, you're, nine times out of ten, you're going to be in for disappointment for a while because there's a lot of bad runs. Um, like, he's trying to make it sound so one way and now it's the other way when I don't know if that's true. Back in my day, comics were like this. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is um, he's saying that that comic book fans knowing the creators, he's saying that as as a bad thing. And I think, if anything, it's been a very positive thing. Uh, We just talked about a commercial for a for Bendis's arrival on Superman books. Shit, it is a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, he was right. That is something that, you know, you could make a commercial for Superman comics in general, and it might do all right. Um, I think when you can tag on a name that people know, uh, in addition to the fact that it's Superman, I think that makes it cooler. You know, uh, we do the same thing with films, right? Like, oh, it's it's not just Iron Man. It's Tony. It's, it's Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. That makes it special. Uh, yeah, it's Jared think, Leto playing Morbius. Like, this is it, right? Uh, it, exactly. And uh, I don't think I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Um, especially because comics have evolved, and not all comics are superhero comics. Do you think people are just going to pick up um, Void Trip? You know, sight unseen, no idea who the creators are. Every single time, I don't think so. I think a lot of people want to know who the who the creators are and that that enhances the work for them uh yeah there are probably people who walk into the store i do this all the time i just did it uh who walk into the store see a book interesting cover buy it 
Yeah, absolutely. There are also people who want to hear the interview we just did and go, I'm going to sign up to that Kickstarter because I like those guys and I like what they said about their book. So, I don't know. If, just, if the Comics Pals like them, then it must be good because our listeners right. are huge marks. Comics Pals bump, baby. Uh, but no, I I, I I think that's a really salient point, Sean. I think like in the age of the internet, like knowing the creator behind a work is like that's part of the game now. You know, it's like the whole like we did an episode, I think like episode two or three about the idea of the death of the author. And I think that gets harder and harder as the barriers between creator and audience become less and less. You know, and I think like you wouldn't see a thriving independent scene if there wasn't that kind of relationship with creators image wouldn't exist at the capacity it does. If it wasn't for that mentality, um, Dirk Manning what, would be out of a job. Yeah. Right. Like exactly. Dirk wouldn't have a career. Like you look at like the principle that image was founded on. And that was it was that it's the creators that matter, not the characters. And, and I, and I'm not sitting here like saying fuck, Marvel and DC's legacy, right? Like those characters are American icons and they are for a reason and they always will be. But like, that doesn't mean that like to Phil's point, like just because I like Spider-Man doesn't mean I'm going to like every Spider-Man comic and like following the creators that I did like onto their next project is going to benefit me more as a, um, a consumer. So I want to, I want to wrap up this conversation, but I did, I did just want to add that regardless of, of whether we think he's right or wrong, Bob Layton is the guy with the experience. At the end of the day, he obviously has worked in the industry and has owned businesses. I want to point out, though, it's very interesting that what he's most known for is writing on a very, very mainstream Marvel title and um, that the businesses that he's referring to that he ran and that failed, I couldn't even tell you what they were. Uh, so I say that to say there's a level of, uh, how do I say this without sounding like a jerk? I would say you should take his opinion with a grain of salt. I, I also, you know? I also want to point out that when he was writing Iron Man, that was a CD list character that was not super, uh, not a big needle mover in the seventies and eighties. Sure. But he didn't have to sell the book. The right. book sold itself. And... That's not true, I would say, for the majority of people working in comics today. Uh, especially if you don't work for Marvel or DC. Your book isn't selling itself. End of story. It's not happening. If you don't work for Marvel or DC, your book is sitting on that shelf unless you do a lot of legwork. Yeah, or like, you know, God bless you if you're like a young creator working with somebody who's a big deal already. You know, like that happens every once in a blue moon, but. <laughs> and, and listen, Bob, if you're listening, if you have a rebuttal for Pete's thesis, hit us up. I, dude, I would love that. Please. If he hears this somehow, like I would love to have you on the show and have a dialogue about this, Bob. So, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp has released and, uh, we're going to, we're going to have our review of that on a separate, uh, Separate piece of audio and video for you guys. Uh, we we uh, we have a lot of thoughts on that film. I did want to talk a little bit about uh, the movie on the show, in particular about the Wasp and Evangeline Lilly. Um, she did a really interesting, what I thought was a really interesting interview with the Hollywood Reporter, where she talked about uh, what was important to her 
regarding the Wasp character and uh, how she found out that uh, her character would get equal billing uh, in the film, that it would be called Ant-Man and the Wasp, not just Ant-Man. So these are her words. When they cast me in the first Ant-Man, I knew that if the first film was a box office success, then that would mean I would get to put on a suit. So there was probably no one more invested in the box office numbers of Ant-Man than me. Once the film was successful enough to warrant a second, and I knew that that was what was happening, I still didn't know that Wasp would be getting equal billing with Ant-Man. So that came as a, as a surprise later. I got a surprise email with nothing but a JPEG of the title card. And that was how they told me. Pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Uh, what a I, reveal, I, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I, I, the reason why I really wanted to bring that up, and there's a little more I wanted to talk about, but I really wanted to highlight that because the importance of this has kind of gone a little understated. This is the first time that a uh, female superhero has had equal billing in a, in a Marvel movie. Uh, we've got Captain Marvel coming, and that's her own deal. But Wasp is really the first character who's who's on the title card, uh, the first female character on the title card. She beat out Black Widow, who's been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe almost the entire time. So I think it's important to talk about that and and. and and how cool it is that Wasp, one of the first Avengers, also had this opportunity. Yeah, like it feels like I like I, I hesitate to call it poetic, but it feels appropriate. You know, like it, it's really cool that, you know, she uh, she was supposed to be in Avengers. You know, she and Ant-Man were both supposed to be part of the original squad. Um, but, you know, due to how things played out with Edgar Wright and, and Ant-Man and, you know, that well, uh, well-told told story, well-worn story, um, it just never came to be. So her being the first to get that billing is, um, is cool. It's appropriate, I think. And, like, it, it's... Uh, I, I really like how they've handled Ant-Man and the Wasp. I think like making it a multi-generational thing has been really cool. And like getting to see some of the deeper kind of cuts of that side of the, you know, the Marvel universe. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think it's been a really, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that this is the tact that they took, right. As opposed to just making her yeah. another supporting player, you know? So, uh, in addition to that, she had some other things to say that I, I also wanted to highlight. Um, Even for the first film, it was very important to me that Hope be an extremely empathetic and compassionate person. And I still did that while having that stereotypical or archetypical quality of femininity of being nurturing, compassionate, empathetic. Men can, of course, be compassionate or feminine, but femininity is at the core of what is disrespected in the patriarchy. So it was important to me to always push for feminine qualities to be apparent when she is dealing with situations, how she emotionally reacts to them, for instance. Uh, in her fight scenes, as trivial as it may seem, I really pushed and fought for her to fight with elegance, grace, and femininity. She moves differently than a man. I wanted her to have a signature style that little girls, like I was when I was a feminine, girly little girl, would be able to fall in love with, emulate, and relate to in their own movements. And MMA-style fighting is distinctly masculine. It's got a very masculine posture and a very masculine attack, and that was so difficult for me because I don't move that way naturally. I really wanted to change that in this film. I wanted to move the way my body wants to move as a more graceful, feminine woman. Um, And I I find that really interesting because you don't think about that, right? Like, 
you don't think about the ways in which even our fighting styles are, you know, the, the natural fighting styles that, that, that exist in Muay Thai and MMA, that those are more catered towards the male body. I never considered that before. And I really loved um, reading her say these things and also the consideration of the way that Wasp would deal with things. It's different from how Ant-Man would or any other superhero. And I think if you watch the movie, um, there are moments where you can definitely tell uh, what she's talking about. Yeah, something that comes to mind to me, uh, and not to spoil anything, but there's like one specific fight scene where I remember she did like, she's like running along the edge of something and does this dodge where her body like bends in such a way where I'm just, it, it like accentuated like her like body's form you know without like being um like an ass shot right like we criticized uh for what the way that they kind of handled the way wonder woman was shot in justice league right like it's not um like a male gaze thing it's not like oh look how sexy she is it's just like she moves around the battlefield in a, in a very different way and like i didn't consciously think of that when i watched the movie but now that i hear that thought my mind immediately went to a bunch of scenes where i'm like oh i could see that you know i i could see how that played into her fight choreography and how uh just evangeline Lilly like played the character and how she moves in contrast to uh paul rudd who had no style in his fighting at all (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um, so again, we'll, we'll be reviewing the book or the book, the movie, um, on a separate, uh, platform for you guys, a separate, uh, piece of audio or video. So go check that out. Be sure to check that up out. Today, you know, and, yep, and up the, today though. And, and the novelization too of our review. <laughs> That's the book. That <laughs> you're gonna, you need to get that. Yeah. We're doing the novelization of our review of the novelization <laughs> of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Meta. Right. <laughs> oh man, that killed Pete. <laughs> Just because Sean is so anti singing on the video game pals, so the fact that he ever like carries notes always just kills me. Ah, uh, okay, fair enough. Um, well, uh, never mind. Yeah, uh, yeah, dang. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so we're gonna jump into our comic book reviews. Uh, let's, let's start off with Man of Steel. We got Man of Steel, number six for you guys, and then we're also going to be reviewing Captain America, and I'll say a few words about Batman 50. Uh, so let's start with Man of Steel. Uh, so this is the end of the Man of Steel weekly miniseries. Uh, we finally get some answers about what the heck has been going on in this book. Um, uh, and, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, Phil, a whole you- lot of nothing. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I would say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess... stuff. I, I guess I'll go... <laughs> hey, guys. Kale here. Uh, shut up, everyone. Uh, I don't have any particularly re- uh, revelatory thoughts on Man of Steel, but uh, Bendis shouldn't have taken six issues to tell either story. The Lois and John stuff uh, felt like we were stuck in a time freeze for five issues, and then when the plot finally went somewhere, it went nowhere. Uh, it would have been better served for the whole story. Now, the Rikator zoologist parts were just nothing. Worse than just Superman punching, they were just nothing, guys. Uh, the art was fine, but there was nothing great about it. I was even kind of sour on Fabok stuff by this point. 
it's good. Nothing to write home about. Uh, overall, glad it came out in only six weeks. God, this only took six whole weeks. Ugh. Yes, my opinion on uh, Man of Steel, number six. I will say that I thought it was better than issues two through five. Um, and I, maybe that came at the expense of having some revelations. But this is a problem I have with a lot of Bendis books, I think, for me. Um, his decompressed writing makes everything feel like there's so much filler. And you juxtapose that with someone like Tom King, who also does a lot of, like, he'll do, like, a nine-panel page where there's not a lot of dialogue. But it feels like... It's nuanced and subtle, and that dialogue that he has there is deliberate. Whereas with Bendis's nine-page, uh, nine-panel pa- uh, nine page, which I don't think he's done nine panels on a page, but it usually feels like he's just trying to fill it out with dialogue that, in his mind, make the issue bounce a little more. You know, um, that all said, it still really wasn't very good. And uh, Chef Boyardee may be the worst new villain of the year. Yeah, not a big <laughs> fan of Ragu. Uh, yeah. It's not. Um, Marco, what did you think about this? I did my duty. I read it. Like We we made him read it twice because he didn't read last week's issue. That's right. I had to read it over and over. Like the contract, like the contract states, you're required to read Man of Steel. And One through six. Um, it so was, good. I was disappointed largely because I, it was my first, not necessarily my first, uh, introduction to, to Bendis, but it, it was in like the superhero genre outside of the like, ultimate Spider-Man that we, um, we had read for a book club. But I mean, uh, this was, if this is the work that he's producing, I'm not interested in it. And I'm... You know, th- this this turned me off of a, an otherwise super famous and beloved creator, um, which is a shame. Uh, and uh, the art was uh, actually I, I agree with Kale's. Like at, at this point, I don't really like Fabox fine. Sorry, Kale. Oh, uh, he messaged Kale? me something earlier. Um, yeah. Um, oh, okay. And. Yeah, it wasn't. This wasn't great. I, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, luckily for you, we don't have to. <laughs> Fucking Phil's yes. cackle over there, like Jesus. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I don't really have too much to add here. Like, I, I just really um, this book showed a lot of promise in its first issue and just a lot of promise might be generous. It showed promise in its first issue and it, uh, Marco, don't even, you were high on this shit when we started it. I was, Uh, I was, it it just didn't go anywhere. You know, like it, it fell into all of the trappings and all the things that, that we hoped that Bendis would avoid, right? That we hoped maybe he's really got something to say here. Maybe this is really going to be different. Like, and it just wasn't, you know? And uh, I don't, I don't mean to, uh, to sling shit at the guy because, you know, like, 
Well, no, because because you know straight up, it's like I, I have enjoyed a lot of his stuff, especially when I was younger, and you know, I wanted to like this book, but I just didn't. Like it, it w- there was very little here to grab onto. You know, I think the art felt like oftentimes um, just not finished. You know, like even when the artists were good, it like the book was on a tight timeline that showed. Uh, the dialogue was often like. Sometimes it just straight up didn't make sense. Let, let me, a lot of times it. Let me put it. Go ahead. Let me summarize your dialogue point in just a phrase that Bendis used: "Kaka poo poo" on some level. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean, it's just if this is if this is what we have to look forward to on Ugh. Superman uh, or action, I I'm not interested, which is a bummer because I want it to be. Yeah. What? So this all basically culminated to. Yeah, Lois and John leaving. I mean, it was a really, really. My it was a, planet needs me. <laughs> it was a super long, drawn out thing for them to go on a summer vacation trip and him to be all angsty about it, and then they put, you know, what's his ragu in the fucking negative zone. Cool. Do we need five issues for that one issue story? No. That's what Kale said. Six issues, rather. Sorry. Yeah. Like that. I, I, Kale's right. Like that oh, entire. God. And I hate saying that, you know that, um, but he is like that whole thing could have been an issue zero. He, he and I uh, noted, and this is a problem that, yeah, this is something uh, he and I noted, and this is a problem I have with a lot of Bendis books in general, uh, especially his Avengers stuff. Uh, maybe after the first two volumes of uh, New Avengers, but um. All his characters talk alike. There's no, to me, there's no distinct voice. And and in this book, it was extremely prevalent. Like Lois, just sounded like Bendis. Um, and everyone joked going into this, and that fucking insane that everyone was right with fucking meme shit, saying that he's gonna get rid of Lois and John as quickly as he can. And fucking six issue, not even he got rid of them in like the first issue and explained it in the sixth issue. <laughs> And teased it for four. Jesus Christ. Also, I think this issue was the most egregious for the dialogue thing. Mm-hmm. I remember that that conversation where it's like they're showing you something else and it's supposed to be Clark, Lois, John, and and uh, Jor-El all talking at the same time. And I'm like, who the fuck is talking half the yeah, time? Yeah, that's what Kale you know, said. Like, like John is what, nine or eight or some shit? And he talks like he's an adult? Like, he made, like, a very, like, kind of witty, dry, jabby aside kind of thing. And I'm just like, he's nine, and nine-year-old would not talk that way. You know, like... And and I didn't mean to say that it was actually witty. It was supposed to be witty. (laughs) What about you, Sean? Uh, I I wish that this was issue four. Yeah. And I wish that this, it ended there. Um, I actually, I, I was frustrated by this issue because I liked pieces of it and i wished that it accentuated those things and kind of hid some of the other stuff um i think that the jor-el stuff is overall stupid it's but terrible if the, if that's what you're gonna do because listen uh jor-el is not a great guy okay like anyone who read what he was doing when he came back this guy was terrorized terrorizing metropolis terrorizing superman and his reasoning is evil. So 
why would you let him take your son? Yeah. Why wouldn't you just fight him? I don't understand that. Why would Lois be okay with this? Why would she write a book about it? Is her relationship with Superman known? No. So then if it's not known, then how can you just write a book about how your son got taken to space on a tour by his grandfather who's supposed to be a dead Kryptonian? That doesn't make any sense at all. Because, Sean, the choice has been made for us by Bendis. Basically, right. basically. It's just I I remember reading it and kind of going like man this feels like uh like uh their version of a very soft one more day like obviously obviously when Lois and John come back they're going to be altered something's going to go wrong and it's going to affect his relationship with her we already know he's thinking about other girls uh because of Melody so just like why why but but if you're gonna do that and that's the story you're gonna tell then fine that's fine but this scene i think was better than all the little sequences we got in every other issue and i think we could have gotten to this a lot faster the stuff with ragu uh, i i i (laughs) i love that that still gets a pop every time someone says it (laughs) i liked i liked it I like the idea of it. I'm I'm a lot more interested in it than you guys are. The idea of somebody who, and uh, to be honest, as crazy as this might sound, I feel this even more strongly after reading Mouse, um, because I know that this is supposed to be an allegory for the Holocaust. So, uh, if so, if Ragu is supposed to embody that same mentality. His fervor for, for for murdering Superman and his disdain for Kryptonians should feel a lot more uh, prominent, and it doesn't. Like I wanted, I wanted dialogue that expressed how clearly he dislikes uh, Superman. I wanted an answer as to why he's doing this, and I didn't feel it didn't feel honest that he would want to blow up Earth. Just because Superman and and and, uh, and uh, Carol were Kara were there, um, that I, I didn't buy that. He like, feels like you could, he feels like a Saturday morning cartoon character, a villain. Yeah, well, just 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 half cocked. Like, there's definitely a really good premise in there, in my opinion. I just don't think Bendis executed it well. Curse honestly. you, Captain Planet! Yeah, seriously. Like, I just had this moment where I was just like, "What the fuck is this guy's motivation?" You know, like, like, why, like, why does he, like, why does he hate Kryptonian so much? And it's like, we don't know. It's what we can't put all our problems in the Phantom Zone, except we did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Except why not put your problems in the Phantom Zone? Isn't why, that the whole point? <laughs> why wouldn't you throw this mother? Like, why wouldn't you put him in the Phantom Zone instantaneously? He committed genocide. Zone. If you can do that at any given moment, I'm putting everybody in the Phantom. I'm putting Phil. Phil's the first person in the Phantom oh! Zone. Right after that is Lex Luthor, and then after that is Ragu. All of you are gone. Like, why is that an issue? I don't understand. Especially especially because it's like, I don't know. Like, he says that, and then is even just like, why? Like, it's totally, he deserves it. He's a genocidal maniac. Whatever, fuck him. And it's like, yeah. So... Why, why, like, why does it, like... <laughs> well, 
that's just how I feel about like every revelation this entire book is just like they're like oh my god I feel this way and I'm like yeah like yes why is this news to you like why like I don't know dude who who, who actually remember like this is a serious question because I don't what what no no cheating Ragul-Zar. what is Ragu's actual name Ragolzar is it what I couldn't have told you that I knew it was Raggle <laughs> but I couldn't have told you Raggle Raggle <laughs> Wait, R A R A G O L or R O? Uh, oh, oh, Rogalzar, Rogal, yeah. Rogal? yeah. Uh, the other thing that bothered me is that Supergirl has left the building. I don't get that. I don't see why she needed to leave. Uh, it's yeah, very, very coincidental that all the major players in Superman's life just up and left because they needed answers in the same exact moment. Wow. Except for his boy, Jimmy Olsen, his one remaining friend. <laughs> Who, you know, hasn't factored. And then also, what happened to that other woman who was trying to, like, sabotage the Daily Planet somehow? She vanished from the equation. Oh, the gossip reporter or whatever? Yeah. yeah. You had six issues, and you, 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 you teased this dumb Jor-El storyline. And then you made it so that you had no room to end any of the other storylines or bring them to an interesting place by the time your miniseries resolved. Yeah, forget ending them. Just even focusing on them at all. Like, it's just like he spent all this time setting up this Jor-El storyline, which basically boils down to here's why these characters aren't going to show up in the rest of the comics you're about to read for the next few years. So why the fuck did we focus on it? Especially like... The, just one more thing, and then I'm done. Just, like, how many times they called back to the, like, what is that, Dad? What is that, Dad? What is that? Like, why is that even the moment you're focusing on? There's, like, three fucking... There's, like, a solid 20-minute conversation that happens after that fact. That was like, so hard to get through, too, that fucking dialogue. Pete, you know what it feels like when Bendis is writing these characters? It's like when Fry and Futurama wrote that book to get the giant brain off the planet. The big brain am winning again. I am the greatest. <laughs> I am leaving Earth for no reason. <laughs> Despite everything we have said, I am one million percent buying the next issues of this book. There's Sean. not a question in my mind about You're such that. Such a mark. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying them happily. Uh, I I I want to know what's going to happen next. I don't. I'm I just done. do. I don't. I just do. I'm tapping so, out. Fair yeah, Bendis got me. I, on, be, on behalf of the comics pals, Sean's taking the <laughs> hit. On behalf of myself, I, I genuinely want to know. I want to know. And I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay to know. That makes me so sad. There's like, you could use that money for almost anything else, and it would probably be a better use of your time. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, who knows? Bendis, uh, Bendis has you in the angle lock, man. Yeah, dude. Now, uh, I want to just quickly uh, say a few words about Batman 50. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of controversy because... I'm not going to spoil anything at all. No spoilers okay. at all. I was about to say, like, oh, oh. <laughs> no, 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 no spoilers Spoiler, at all. There's been a lot of controversy because of the spoilers uh, that were released to the New York Times uh, last week, actually. Um, and obviously, that disappointed a lot of people. Um, my feelings on the book are that... Uh, to be really honest, I didn't care about this at all. 
Tom King. I've been reading about the relationship between Batman and Catwoman for the entire run, and I don't feel that the emotion he thinks I'm supposed to feel is earned at all for this relationship. I get that there's this history. I get that, you know, whatever. But I think he's placing more importance on their history than actually exists. And so when it comes time for this issue and when everything is unfolding, I think that that he's writing it in such a way that I'm supposed to feel something that I never did. And uh, so the emotional beats for me were flat. Uh, as far as what happens, I think it'll lead to some interesting stuff. Um, but overall, I was actually really surprised at how much I disliked this issue. Um, I really, really expected something way different than what I got, and I couldn't care less about what I read, to be really honest. And I love Tom King and all that jazz, but I just didn't care. Uh, so... That's so interesting, dude. Like, I would love to have, uh, like, a like a short one-off episode or something like that where we have you and Matt Murphy talk about it because he said it was literally, like, I think he said it was, like, his favorite comic or superhero comic he's ever read. So I would I would love to have you guys, like, uh, discuss it. <clears throat> I I can't fathom the reason why. I, re- I really can't. That's so interesting to me, you know? Yeah, he can't be in the same room as Matt Murphy. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I really, I really don't get it. More power to him. I'm glad he enjoyed it. I'm sure there's a lot of people who really loved it. I am not among them. And, uh, whatever. (laughs) I'm looking forward to the rest of the run. There's a hundred issues that Tom's got planned. I'll be there for every single one. But this particular one just did, did not penetrate me. Maybe I've got a black heart. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, but, uh, this just wasn't, uh, up my alley. Uh, so let's talk about Captain America number one. This is the beginning of the Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Linnell Francis U run on the title. Uh, and uh, a lot of controversy surrounding this one, but for very different reasons. This is the first real uh, Captain America comic that deals with the fallout of Secret Empire. Mark Wade's run kind of took a left turn, kind of circled around that, and it didn't really address it. This is us getting to see the world and Captain America's world post-Secret Empire. I am so anxious to hear what you guys think, especially given that none of you have read the preceding uh, event. So, fire away. Right. Uh, so, I think in the beginning, I felt like probably a little bit lost, I think, just because of that. Um but I think once it got going, uh, I think I have a really good idea of what the aim of Coates' run is going to be and, like, what specific themes he's looking to tackle. And I think the way he's using what happened in Secret Empire uh, as a way to kind of hold a mirror up to our current um, political climate in America like with Captain America as kind of like the focal point of that conversation is really interesting. 
Um, and I think based on uh, what we've seen him do with Black Panther, um, go check out our, our book club on his run of Black Panther. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm really, really excited, actually. Uh, this is a book I was interested in um, on the pedigree alone, really. Like, you know, I like Captain America quite a bit, and I, getting to have uh, Coates write him is something that I thought was really interesting because of how he handled political themes in Black Panther, but also something that Sean uh, had brought up, which is that, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't think that there's ever been a black man write Captain America. There has. Uh, okay. Christopher Priest has written oh, Captain America. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um. But even so, having this writer at this time write this character, I think has the opportunity to be a really significant run and one that I hope resonates with a lot of people. Because um, I thought this first issue, like like I said, I was kind of lost in the beginning. And then when we were getting in the rhythm of it, it felt like a little bit like issue one like very by the numbers of like we're setting the status quo. But then there was like that final moment of Cap having that monologue with himself about where the country is at after Hydra's ascent and some very what I think are very clear allusions to uh, why why Coates believes people believed in Donald Trump. Uh, and and I, I think it's just really, really clever and what he is what he's saying and how he's saying it have me really, really interested in in what his plans are moving forward and what, at the very least, these next five issues look like. And I, I'm I'm definitely in for the ride, hundred percent. You see the contrast between something like Man of Steel number one, which has, I, I guess Bendis was trying to make commentary, but he's just not a capable enough writer to portray it. Versus Captain America number one, which actually. Um, I feel like encapsulates Captain America to a T. And some of the, just like, there are quotes in this issue that really stood out to me. Um, like in the very beginning, Mother Russia may have lost our heroes, but we we still have our winter. I thought that was really good. When we're introduced to Cap, he says he, um, like, it, it was like the most Cap thing I ever read. It was from, um, it was from Frank Miller's Born Again run. Where, where Captain America makes appearance, where it was like a soldier at home or away, a man loyal to nothing except the dream. And I was like, Shh. and it's like, it's the giant splash page of cop, uh, Cap running across the cop car and protecting people. And it's like, shit, here we go. Um, I popped on Twitter after I read it just to see some of the reactions. And as you might expect, the incel community is very upset. Oh, I guess Nazis are bad now. Yeah, dude. They are. <laughs> A, they are and always have been. B, like, don't have this conversation with Captain America. It just shows how stupid you are. Like, <laughs> and, and people are so mad that Coach is riding after, like, this, this black SJW. It's like, when I'm seeing all this, to me, it's like, yeah, this book needs to be made. Yeah, like, the fact that you're having this reaction is exactly why this is the book we need in 2018. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, why it's the Captain America book we need in 2018. Yeah, and I wasn't lost at all. I, I actually, like, I thought Coates had a really good, strong sense of tone. Um, and I think he had a really good grasp on Captain America as a character. I'm really curious where it goes. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I, I kind of, I sort of knew that it was um, 
post the whole Secret Empire stuff, so I, I went in with that expectation that sort of stuff's going to be resolved, but I agree he kind of handled that well, and he, there wasn't a lot of reintroduction or regurgitation of information from that stuff, which I appreciated because it made the, the run feel a little bit fresh um, and had had its origin point. And, um, yeah, I, I don't... For me, this was this was an issue one. It very much set things up and just kind of, for me, set the status quo. And I think the the things that Coates did say are um, are only the the surface. And I think that we're definitely going to see more. So a lot of what he did say in this first issue, I kind of didn't immediately. I, I didn't immediately internalize it because I, I know that I know that he's gonna in the next couple issues and over this arc he's gonna really bring in some some deeper things and what he has here this was sort of the introduction to what he's gonna be planning I feel um, so yeah overall it was it was a it was a good issue um, nothing super outstanding uh, the art was on point um, but I also don't know the the character so like that that moment that you were talking about. Phil, um, I thought that was really cool, but I don't, I don't know if maybe because of that lack of history, it doesn't resonate as much for me. Uh, I was just like, yeah, like that, that's cool. And it sort of portrays the character, but, um, you know, I, I don't, outside of that, it didn't give me much more. That's interesting. I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that. Uh, I thought this was a masterful issue, um, there, there is such. It's so hard to write like a, an issue one, and uh, I think Nahesi Coates, uh, with Black Panther number one and with this one, had to piggyback off of some heavy stuff that happened in the Marvel universe right before his run started. Uh, with Black Panther, like he was just coming off the heels of Secret Wars. And there was all that stuff that happened that he had to deal with and now cap uh, with Secret Empire. And I think the differences between issue one of Black Panther and this one are staggering in the sense that he handles this with such grace. Um, he, he, he's clearly grown a lot as a writer in the four years or so since uh, Black Panther won. Um, he, he understands the medium so much more now. And uh, it feels... Like a traditional comic book, in the sense that it has the splash pages at the appropriate moments, the action is 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 directed well, and obviously a lot of that um, is due to uh, Francis Yu's work. But I think Coates, as a director, as a as a, as a writer, has grown a lot. Um, That's what I was gonna say. He, yeah. he paces things a lot better than he did in Black Panther number one, and uh, the dialogue is more well structured. The dialogue is, is more well-structured, it's more crisp, and it's more biting. I think uh, he really was able to get his point across without being overly wordy, which is something that I think a lot of comic book writers struggle with. <laughs> Scott Snyder! About. I completely agree with you, actually. I was going to say we just talked about Bendis, but I think that's accurate as well. Um, and uh, Coates was great with that. I love seeing Bucky. Uh, back into the mix as an ally. Um, Sharon Carter, obviously, I still feel very bad anytime I see her because she's old now, and that sucks um, for her. 
Uh, and the way that he handled the weight of Secret Empire. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of that run. I've talked about that many times. He handled it in a, such a way that I wish this book came out right after Secret Empire. I wish there was no time between because we needed this. It felt so weird being a regular weekly reader of Secret Empire and having there be no fallout at all. Like literally none at all. Um, they just didn't deal with it. And this book is about Captain America not being displaced but disgraced, right? That's a totally different experience that we've really seen him have to deal with before. Because now people don't trust him. People trusted him implicitly. Forever. And in this book you see Thaddeus Ross want Sharon Carter and Bucky. Bucky, a murderer. A lone murderer. He wants them on his side. But he doesn't want Cap. And he's lying when he says it's not, because, it's not about his image. Of course it is. It's all about his image. Uh, everything has changed now. Because of what was done with his face. And uh, I think that the political allegory of this book is very on point. Captain America standing as a as a symbol for what America is going through right now, right? Uh, somebody took his face and did things in his name that don't stand for him. And people in America uh, rose up and chose to follow him uh, down a path that was evil. And that spoke to their work to the worst in them, right? That's what Secret Empire was about. And if you can't see what that's saying about America in 2018, you're blind. If you have a problem with that message being sent through a Captain America comic, you're stupid. And I don't know what you what you thought you were gonna get or what you think Captain America has ever stood for. But it is this. It, it is what it is. Uh, and I think everything about this book is excellent, except that uh, the where the where the villain stuff is going. I'm not clear on that. Celine is a character with like no relationship to Cap at all, and I'm not sure why she was brought in for this storyline. Um, he didn't do a great job of introducing those characters, but I also recognize that this issue wasn't about that, so that's acceptable. Yeah, uh, I imagine we'll see that in two or three. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I I am so, so happy that this was good, and I can't wait to see where things go. Yeah, man, the, uh, the whole, like, idea of it kind of being, like, a Captain America, like, apology tour, like, he's trying to, like, reclaim the name and everything, like, I feel like is such a... And just the way that Captain America has been used, at least in my lifetime, as, like... You know, like, like specifically, I, I would say, like, how he was using Civil War, right? Like, the point of Cap isn't uh, to be pro-America. It's pro-American ideals or what is supposed to be American ideals. And the idea of him as a character, Steve Rogers, but also as the symbol, Captain America, both in the context of the story and used as an allegory for America as a whole, it just has so many layers to it, but it's so clean, you know, like it's, it's all the same metaphor. And like, that's just 
it's really good writing on Coates' part, in my opinion, that he's able to juggle all these things without it feeling like three separate conversations. You know, it's it, it feels like a really natural way to use this character to tell this kind of political story, but like not just because it's appropriate, but also based on like the current continuity. You know, and like that's really cool. Like that's a really I think, like, it can't be overstated how tough it is to make something work on that many levels and have it feel seamless. That, like, I, I, I'm not reading current Captain America and haven't been, but I could come into it knowing that context and knowing, like, oh, this is, like, really speaking to anybody who could pick this book up. Can, can we can we please keep politics out of my comic books? No. Please? You want to talk about a phrase I'm so tired of hearing. Uh, from this community, it is just—it's just dumb. Keep politics dumb. out of comics. Yeah, please, yeah, no, well, Steppy. It shows you. It shows your blissful ignorance of the history of the medium that you claim to love so much and to be a gatekeeper of. Um, why don't you go look up the history of? Captain America number one and what that meant for the Marvel offices and how the mayor of New York had to get involved. Why don't you go read about that? Oh, wait, you don't know that history, even though you claim to be such an expert, such a lover of the medium. Fuck yourself. Can, can like, we, go fuck yourself. Uh, everyone, right? everyone that always says, like, keep politics out of sports or keep politics out of comics or movies, they're always the ones that have the shittiest views. Well, yeah, or no views at all. Like, they don't want to be confronted with I don't want to be confronted with their shitty views, basically. Or with reality. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, God yeah. forbid you engage with a piece of art, art that makes you think or grow or change as a person. La, 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 la. Can't hear you. I also, really quick, uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to point out that uh, uh, the art in this book was really, really, really good. Those splash uh, pages, dude. That was one... Tight. That like just how Captain America's face and all those early scenes are just drenched in shadow, like oh, so good. Yeah, uh, you is is an artist that I've been. I mean, he's been around my entire comics reading life, and he's just gotten so good over the years. He's been good, but he's gotten incredible, and um, I think that the tone and the the feel. Of, of of the book what, it was so appropriate to bring him on board for this. Um, I think a lot of other artists wouldn't have been able to bring the grit that this book needs to have um, and the tension. I felt tension all over the place. And I think a lot of artists wouldn't have been able to capture that. Um, but he did. And I just, I love, I love what he did here. So kudos on that. So, uh, Hopefully you guys enjoyed those reviews. We'll definitely be talking about uh, Cap as we go forward a little more. Uh, I'm not sure how deep we'll follow the run, but uh, I think we all agreed that we at least, you know, want to read the next one, right? So. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely in for the first arc unless it, like, takes a fucking hard nosedive. So I'm, I'm down to we want to read it week to week, month to month, whatever the fuck it is. I'm down. We want to do a book club. I'm in. Cool. Uh, definitely, definitely gonna read issue two. Oh my god, Marco! Marco doesn't like <laughs> deep political themes in his comics. That's right. Just he just wants to read yeah. about smut. Keep politics out of my he just wants comics. Smut. Just smut. That's what he likes. Ooh, a natural came out this week. Oh my fucking goodness! Yo, I bought that. 
<laughs> oh, I haven't got, I haven't gotten it yet. Don't. I saw it, the it cover and I was like, I need this. I need some smut. Shout yep. out to Matt Murphy. I, I, I was buying the book and I was like, oh shit, I'm Matt Murphy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so. We'll keep you posted on Cap number one, and I'm sure there are plenty of other comics we'll be reviewing really soon for you guys. So uh, if there's any books that you want us to review, uh, there are plenty of ways you can let us know. And uh, we're all over the place, Apple Podcasts, uh, whatever whatever podcast hosting service you enjoy the most, we're there. So leave us a like uh, on your, your podcast hosting platform of choice. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. Uh, you can write to us with your thoughts on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals by writing in at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, we're on YouTube, where if you are watching this on YouTube, you can hit us with a like, drop us a comment, subscribe to our channel, and share this video with your friends. Those subscribes help us out a ton. They're free to do, and they're very impactful to what we are doing over here. So if you could do that, that'd be a great help. It'd be much appreciated. Um, and, and if of you course, are, oh. and oh. of course, as Pete was going to say, uh, when he becomes the host, uh, that you should Straight head up. over, you should head over and make sure that you click that uh, notification bell so that you get notified when we upload our content because you don't want to miss this. Notification. Into the Phantom Zone with both of you. God damn. <laughs> right, if we go by that this like logic, Sean's the only one who's going to be left on the show. That's, which maybe that's what should happen. That's in the what first he's place. been trying to do since episode one. He's ready to blow up the entire Earth just to get rid of us. That's true. <laughs> uh, and my new name is Ragu. So. <laughs> Ragu Zol. <laughs> Ragu Bartley. There it is. <laughs> Someone draw that, please. <laughs> oh my god, please Ragu Bartley, let's go Let's not do that uh, I mentioned Mouse earlier And that is our most recent book club So you can go check that out It's really, really good content And of course, make sure that you head over And listen to our Ant-Man and the Wasp review It is up right now Everywhere that this is up So go check it out This is just a click away So head over there and listen to that You do not want to miss our thoughts and uh, now let's do some plugs before we get out of here. Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you guys want to catch some more content from me, you can find me over on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, where I do host the show. Uh, <laughs> and where I let you host the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I just wanted to help. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, Sean and I are over on that show. It's a great time. If you're a gamer, uh, definitely give it a shot. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, we talk about video games in very much the same way. Um, but no Phil, so better show. Um, <laughs> uh, and then you can also catch me on our Let's Play show Monday through Thursdays over on YouTube.com slash The Comics Pals called Pals Play. We are playing The Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit this week, which is the prequel to Life is Strange 2. Uh, and it's about a superhero, so brand synergy. What's up, baby? Um, so go check that out, and uh, if you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. You can talk to me about uh, this or any other episode of any other show that we've ever done. All right. Phil? Well, excuse me, friends. I'm Earth2Kale, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'd like to do my plugs now. Firstly, I'm very grateful to have all of you as such wonderful friends. 
You're all my most dear and cherished friends, and I've never been more positive about anything in my entire life. If you want to follow my Earth One counterpart, you can follow him on social media at Toto and Toe. That's T O T O T O T O T O. And make sure you follow <laughs> Panels Publishing, where I produce all of my greatest works, like How the Sun Shines and How Much the Birds Sing. Anyway, I gotta go now. Back to you, Phil. <clears throat> wow, that was a really that was. I like Earth Two, Kale. He's really nice. Me That's too. It. Um, as for me, you can find me on all social media at Cyborg Bebop. I feel like I have other things to plug, but I don't remember them. Uh, it was nice that we could talk about Kale for an entire episode in the, uh, uh, Bonnie Tales of Laszlo Kale. So, there you go. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up at some point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marco. Uh- and you can follow me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, talk to me about things that aren't Man of Steel, please. That was a very good plug, friend Marco. Oh, thanks, Cal. Earth 2 Cal. No problem. Uh, as for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Soapbox, where we can talk about everything Man of Steel. Oh, boy. Uh, no, don't talk to me about that, please. Uh, and, and with that, Ragu Bartley, <laughs> send us your Ragu Bartley fan art. Don't do it. Uh, and with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See ya next week. Boy, I know I wasn't on this episode, but it really was good. You boys are very good at your jobs. <laughs>